Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Yes, good news. 25 degree heat wave on the way leads the Irish Mirror today. Sean Murphy and Erica Sasson uh, reporting that forecasters are predicting the start of another heat wave with temperatures hitting 25 degrees. Not tomorrow, but next week. Matt Aaron is expecting that after today, temperatures will creep up to 18 degrees for most of the weekend. But the huge upward swing to temperatures of 25 degrees by the end of next week is due to a high pressure system coming up from southern Europe. If the weather charts are accurate, the real feel factor means that a 25-degree temperature could feel more like mid-30s in direct sunshine. Matt Aaron say temperatures are measured in the shade to give stable readings, but it can often um, feel between 10 to 15 degrees higher. Uh, a similar warm front in Ireland in March caused unseasonably hot temperatures across the country of up to 18 degrees, and it felt like it was in the mid-20s. So that forecast is from next week that we'll be again basking in high thermometer readings with the highs in some cases exceeding those in popular holiday hotspots in Spain. Meanwhile, Kerry-based Weather Alerts Ireland said its forecasting models tallied with Med Erin heatwave predictions late next week. Front of the Echo Hospital truly sorry. A baby dies just 33 hours after his mother. Anne O'Loughlin reporting that Cork University Maternity Hospital has apologised and said it is truly sorry after a mother died when she fell out of a bed while breastfeeding uh, and her newborn baby suffocated under her. Uh, Marie Downey broke her neck in the fall three days after giving birth to her third child, son Dara. The Downey family counsel, Dr John O'Mahony, with Dirin O'Mahony, told the High Court uh, this was a monumentally sad and profoundly tragic and heartbreaking case where baby Dara suffocated under his mother. He said when Miss Danny was removed from the ground in her hospital room and her baby was found suffocated, baby Dara fought bravely for life. But unfortunately, the trauma he endured was too much for him, and he died the next day at just four days old after suffering an irreversible brain injury, counsel said. Such a sad story, and making the front page of today's Echo. Also in the Echo, Blarney residents fight for their post. And we had this on in detail yesterday. Donald O'Keefe reporting in the Echo that opposition politicians have welcomed the decision by local people to protest against the possible closure of Blarney Post Office. As I said yesterday, uh, you know, one of the biggest tourist hotspots in the world and no tourists can post a postcard uh, to the world uh, from Blarney if this uh, comes about. The current postmaster is due to finish their contract at the end of May and despite advertising the vacancy three times on post has not secured a new postmaster. We heard on the radio yesterday, why would anybody take on what will uh, essentially be a loss-making role? Uh, so they might hide behind advertising it and say nobody's interested, but freshen up the contract, make it more attractive. Uh, and somebody will continue that very vital service for Blarney. At a meeting called this week by Sinn Féin Corky, the decision was made to hold a public protest at 1pm on Monday outside Blarney Post Office. Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central, Thomas Gould, whom we spoke to yesterday, said the protest was necessary to force government parties to honour commitments to save post offices. And on the programme during the week, we heard that just 17 million uh, annually could save about 200 post offices. It would put them uh, into the black instead of in the red uh, and save those vital uh, community uh, elements of the community fabric. Now, the Mirror has uh, Olivia Keller, her reporting on Little Santina Coley, sustained 49 external and four internal injuries. A court heard yesterday. We covered this in detail yesterday with Barry Roach and we'll come back to uh, Barry early next week. Barry also reporting uh, in the Irish Times uh, a pair of leggings found in the bedroom of an apartment 
where a two-year-old toddler was found with serious injuries, contained blood from both the child and the woman accused of her murder trial, uh, of her murder at trial has heard. Forensic scientist Dr. Shabelle Waldron of Forensic Science Ireland told the trial of Karen Harrington that a pair of adult leggings with a floral pattern found in Miss Harrington's apartment contained both Miss Harrington's blood and blood from Santina Cawley. Uh, we'll be back to that story in more detail, as I mentioned, early next week. IMF. Too much red tape on housing, says the International Monetary Fund. This is the front page of the Mail today. The Global Fund says we won't solve the crisis unless we simplify the process of building. Ireland's ability to solve its housing crisis is being hampered by far too much planning and construction red tape, the International Monetary Fund has warned. The global institution, which provided the country with a bailout in 2010 following the financial crash, has told the government that uh, too many people have the ability to object to planning decisions and that the process is too cumbersome and costly. And it said that international property funds have in fact helped stimulate construction and are too easy a political target. The fund also questioned why it takes five years for tradespeople to be qualified, insisting that the length of time is a barrier to enticing people into the sector. You'd nearly be a doctor in that time. The IMF made its assessment after meetings with senior ministers and officials including the finance minister, the public expenditure minister and the governor of the central bank. Be careful of the IMF and what they're saying though. They're also saying uh, we should remove the cap on uh, payments to senior bankers uh, and let that go way up into the sky again. Uh, They're saying remove the cap while they're also saying in the same report uh, they're advising the government to tackle what they call our very, very low property tax uh, regime. Uh, And I know that property tax is crippling for some people. Uh, so that kind of flies in the face of good advice, doesn't it? Let the bankers make what they want and uh, just charge the people more on property tax. Uh, I'm not forgetting uh, the words of Enda Kenny. Uh, I know there were many, many years ago when he said it is immoral to place tax on a family home. But now it's uh, it's the way of the world, isn't it? 300 euros a month more on your mortgage is the other good news. Examiner front page says the ECB is preparing for a series of interest rate hikes. It's happening already with the Fed in America. Hundreds of thousands of mortgage holders could face a hike of up to 300 euros a month in their repayments as interest rates begin to rise this summer. I think that's a little bit uh, over the top. I don't think they're going to rise that fast. You'd want to have a couple of million on your mortgage to have a 300 a month, I'd say. Now, unless they go up by more than... Uh, I'm, I'm, you'd be kind of expecting a quarter of a percent. Uh, so do the maths on that. It's not going to be 300 a month, more like maybe 500 a year. But ECB chief economist Philip Lane yesterday warned a sequence of interest rate hikes in Europe is on the way. I think it's clear at some point, he said, we're going to be moving rates not just once, but over a time in sequence. While Mr. Lane would not be drawn on when the first ECB rate rises would happen, board member Isabel Shinba made the case for a move as early as July. So this would see a hike in monthly repayments for Ireland's 722,000 family home and 88,000 buy-to-let mortgage holders who are already feeling the squeeze from soaring energy costs. The star has man set up room for children to change in. A swimming coach used a GoPro camera to secretly video kids undressing after training sessions, Gardy suspect. Sources have told the star that Gardy investigating the coach believe he allegedly hid the digital video recorder in a room he had access to. It's alleged he then told the children to get changed there rather than in an official changing area. Now the coach, whose specialist Gardy arrested and questioned on Sunday, is facing the prospect of being jailed for up to 10 years for sexually exploiting kids. A source said last night 
The inquiry is a very serious one. If the DPP directs a charge against the suspect, he's in serious trouble. Uh, sources have told the Star newspaper, they say, that the instructor came into contact with youngsters and had access to a room that he used as a base or office. The kids he was training uh, should by right have got dressed and undressed in changing rooms in a certain facility. Uh, you know, keeping in touch with the kids and chatting to them uh, when they come back as to how things are going. Uh, never a bad idea. These were obviously uh, unaware and unfazed and taking the adult direction to go into a room where he was surreptitiously filming them. Social media support for abused politicians. Facebook and Twitter offer a service for TDs and senators. So says the Irish Daily Mirror today that Facebook and Twitter are offering special support services for TDs and senators who feel they're subject to abuse online. The two social media giants briefed politicians earlier this year, promising enhanced facilities for reporting harassment and other harmful content. Uh, I'm seeing some very, very graphic content uh, on Facebook lately. It, uh, it disappears, uh, but how it gets up there is uh, is beyond me. But according to an internal Oireachtas paper, Facebook opened a new reporting channel that TDs and senators can have direct access to. They also promised to deliver briefings to politicians focused on safety and security for their use of both Facebook and their parent company, Meta's other major platform, Instagram. These seminars will take place in Leinster House and will be carried out on a regular basis to cater for all working there. Uh, so that will be minding the politicians for us. Uh, there's going to be a high turnout, or has been a high turnout, as the North goes to the poll. It was predicted paper, uh, last night by the Mail. And they're saying early winners in the North's Assembly elections are expected to be announced today in the early afternoon, actually, with Sinn Féin possibly set to take the First Minister post for the first time. That means a kind of a Catholic ethos, Republican first minister in the North for the very first time since our little island uh, was partitioned a hundred years ago. Uh, Chief Electoral Officer Virginia McVeigh said there appeared to be a high turnout for yesterday's voting. The DUP and Sinn Féin are vying for the top spot in the election, which comes with the entitlement to nominate the next first minister. Uh, but will the DUP form the Assembly? Uh, if Sinn Féin take the top spot, remains to be seen. A unis, uh, unionist party has always been the biggest in the Assembly and previously the Stormont Parliament since the formation of the jurisdiction in 1921. Counting will start at three centres in Belfast, Jordanstown and Maharafelt this morning with the first results expected to be called today. So much in the mix there with the protocol uh, and all of the Brexit stuff and uh, so many feelings running high. Uh, but no doubt this is the most important turnout uh, to the ballot paper since, uh, in my mind anyway, since the Good Friday Agreement. Let's see where that goes. We'll watch that with interest. Three quarters admit to uh, being target of text or email scam. I get them every day. Almost three quarters of people have been targeted by fraudsters sending fake text messages or emails in the last six months. A study has shown. The latest one I'm getting actually is the uh, you owe €1.90 on your delivery uh, from on post. So please log on here and pay. Then suddenly they probably skim your system or something. Uh, research by Visa has revealed that two-fifths of the population are being targeted once a week. Inviting people to click links and take urgent action are among the most common strategies used by fraudsters. This was followed by asking the reader to resolve a problem, such as rearranging a package delivery time or paying a late fee and highlighting unique offers. Researchers found click here, account information and gift card to be the most commonly used phrases in fraudulent communications. If you feel you're being the victim of these kind of things, please call us on 0818 104 106. Uh, almost 74% of those surveyed said they're concerned about online fraud, while more than half are worried that their parents, grandparents, or children will be targeted. 6K, 6,000 euro to eat dog food. 
A pet food firm is offering a lucky punter 1,200 euros a day to eat nothing but dog food. Wouldn't you want to be stuck? Uh, the winning candidate will tuck into the plant-based food for five days, uh, but pocketing a cool 6,000 euro. They'll have to report back to dog food firm Omni about their favorite flavors, as well as energy levels, their bowel movements, sleep, weight, and their skin and hair. Dog owner Cassie Darling, 36, said she was applying and would eat the food alongside Daisy, her two-year-old Cavapoo. She said, I'll eat with Daisy and we can see who likes it the most. Would you do it for the money? Calls and comments are welcome. And toddlers won't eat their veg. Is that a problem? We'll serve it up, says the UK Times, with a little side of bribery. Bribing children to eat their greens has long been a parental taboo, but now scientists have granted it the stamp of approval. Giving toddlers a sticker or a small toy when they try a new vegetable makes them more likely to do so. A new study has found children in the study were offered two bite-sized pieces of six vegetables, tomato, cucumber, carrot, pepper, radish and cauliflower. All were willing to try five or six pieces uh, before the study started. This increased to seven in those given a reward. Uh, they'll also be able to identify more vegetables if you uh, conduct this. Bribing the children to take vegetables. One final piece from the papers this morning before we get down to the business of the, pro- uh, the programme also comes from the UK Times. Maverick hopes to land older film fans. Tom Cruise feeling the need The Need for Speed in a sequel to Top Gun could provide a nostalgia hit to lure older viewers back to the cinema. Industry experts have said box office takings have bounced back since the height of the pandemic, but there remains a reticence to return among people of a certain generation. The older, the less uh, attendance, apparently. Only 17% of British cinema goers were over 55 when screens reopened in 2020, compared with 27% before the crisis. And it's hoped that Top Gun will be the key hinge point for cinemas over the summer, and expectations are quite high. People who have seen the first one think it's an absolutely astonishing film and will want to queue up uh, to see the new one, very much like James Bond's No Time to Die and Spider-Man, No Way Home, uh, which proved to be the big draws at the box office. So as we go into 2022, there's going to be clear signs uh, that the lack of confidence in cinemas is starting to dissipate, and they're expecting Top Gun to top the box office. Cork's number one talk show, The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Coming up on 22 minutes past nine. Good morning, this is Mick Mulcahy, and back to our menopausal topic, and let's go to Catherine O'Keefe on line two. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning, how are you? I'm very good. Now, you're a menopause workplace consultant and founder of Wellness Warrior. You're also creator of the Menopause Success Summit. Can I venture that menopause, as big an issue as it is and ever has been uh, for women, has inadvertently, by the shortage of HRT, come front and centre for some media attention? And I think that might be doing some good. Yes, totally. I, I think, look, unfortunately, the shortages, the HRT shortages, it's, it's not a new thing. Um, I mean, this has been going on for a couple of years, but obviously with COVID and everything, it's just really hit a disastrous situation. And like there's thousands of women, not just in Ireland, across the world who are experiencing shortages, but definitely in Ireland and in the UK, we've massive issues with shortages. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but like, we know we've got women who are, you know, going off to Spain and Portugal. They're bringing their prescriptions with them. We know they're going up to the north. You know, we know that, unfortunately, women are having to take desperate measures to get their prescriptions fulfilled. And in actual fact, you should be able to just walk down to your local pharmacy and get your prescription. Because for many women, their anxiety can be part of menopause. And then if you put on top of it the added anxiety of, 
well, am I going to get my medication? Is it going to be on stock? You know, it really just adds more fuel to the fire and it just it really exasperates what many women are already experiencing as, as they go through menopause. Yeah, I, I think, what, I think what most women can't understand, Catherine, is how can pharmaceutical companies, be, you know, it's not like a failed potato crop or a failed harvest of yeah. tomatoes. How, how, <laughs> how can they be running short of the ingredients pharmaceutically to make what's needed? Yeah, and and that's a great point. But, but the biggest, biggest issue we're facing is the fact the supply and demand, the supply for HRT ha- cannot meet the demand. Like we've seen over the last two years, more women are going to their doctors and being informed with information, they're demanding HRT where they need it. And that has really pushed up um, issues with supply. And we know that when we look at Ireland also, we've got to take into account we're not high on a priority list. When you compare us, we are smaller to the UK, to the bigger con- countries. But even at that, like the UK have massive issues. We saw yesterday the health secretary um, in the UK met with many of the pharmaceutical companies to try and figure out, OK, listen, you know, what can we do here? And my understanding as of last night is that um, Stephen Donnelly is aiming to do the same with pharmaceutical companies here in Ireland. But I, So when it comes back to it, the supply is the big issue, the fact that demand is just unprecedented. Then we also have the fact, you know, there there is few companies, pharmaceutical companies, who are actually manufacturing the licensed form of HRT. So what we need to also be able to look at is, you know, the, um, the HPRA, the regulatory uh, body here in Ireland for medications. We need to start to be able to look at, well, what's the role of generic forms of HRT? We tend to be very slow to get them passed through um and authorised. So it may be time to actually start looking at, well, maybe we just don't solely rely on the big pharma. Maybe we start looking at the smaller pharmaceutical companies that can also produce HRT. And that's a much bigger question. But we, we're definitely faced with a global supply and demand okay. issue. And that's, so are, are, the, are the top sellers, Catherine, patent protected? And uh, if they are, could the pharmaceutical companies that own those patents uh, be forced or cajoled in, in, you know, into rela- relaxing the terms and allowing generics to be produced. Yeah, you see, I think that's what we don't want is we we don't want to, no country should have a monopoly over um, HRT. So what, but what we have to do and the, the way it works in Ireland is that when you bring in a new form of medication, like let's just call it any of these generic brands, they have to go through a very um, tight process of due diligence and so forth before they're approved and that take, that can take a long long time so i also think the government needs to put some pressure on the hpre and basically say look listen we need to start looking at other ways other products that we can put on the shelves like if you take norfin and um, paracetamol, you can see now in any chemist, you'll see a generic brand as well as the, the, the main brands. And I, I think that's what we need to look at. But what we've got to make sure is that obviously the ingredients are 100% because a lot of women will say, unfortunately, like when the patch goes out of supply, they basically then switch to maybe using a gel. And some for some, it's no issue whatsoever, and it really helps them. But for others, they'll find they don't respond as well to the gel as they did to the patch because every single woman is so unique going through menopause. So 
how you react to every form of HRT, it can be different. And this causes, you know, additional challenges for women because every month it might be, okay, well, your gel isn't in this month. Now you need to try a patch or maybe your spray isn't in and now I need to give you this or maybe you need to look at oral. And I mean, think about it. Like, you know, if we look at eltroxin, um, the, the, the common thyroid medication, that was in, there are shortages issues with that in 2014. And there was a huge public outrage. And basically the supply was resolved very, very quickly. So we need to see the same pressure going on here and just making sure that, you know, pressure is going on the pharmaceutical companies from yes women can use their voices but we also need the government to support us and you know get on the back of this as well okay are people like you supporting and advising the government i know you've worked with more than 150 companies to uh, yeah. to Im- try to implement a comprehensive menopause strategy is an expert like you available and uh, being used by the government Oh, yeah, like um, I was uh, the Women's Health Conference, the first ever health conference that was held last week um, here in Dublin. I was on the menopause panel for that. And I'm also a stakeholder in the Women's Task Force, which the government set up back in 2019, the Department of Health and the National Women's Council to address not just menopause, but all of women's health issues like endometriosis. You know, and there's so many parts of women's health that need to be addressed. So there's a, there's many voices that are continuously beating the drum and just kind of, you know, trying to put pressure that changes are being made. And, and we're, we definitely, changes are happening. Like, you know, we, we know that there's going to be six menopause centres throughout the country by the end of 2023. That's a start. Now, we've a long, long way to go, but, it, but it's certainly a start. And I mean, I think menopause is definitely high on the agenda Um for Stephen Donnelly, uh, as are other aspects of women's health. And I think, but we just, we still need to continuously just keep applying the pressure. And right now, the focus is on the shortages because it is just causing so much distress to thousands and thousands of women that, you know, it just has to be resolved. Mm-hmm. Catherine, so you've, you've, part- s- you've said that like Davina, I'm on a mission to shatter the menopause taboo for good. What, what taboo and in what way does that taboo manifest? Oh, the taboo of menopause. Well, I think it's just, you know, there's, for many, for many people, there's a shame around talking about menopause. You know, just talking about, you know, sitting down with a friend even and maybe talking about your hot flushes, maybe talking about your anxiety, maybe talking about bladder and urinary issues that you're having. Women have really struggled with that. Now, we're definitely, we are making inroads into shattering the taboo, but it's, we've a long way to go. And that's, that's in the workplace, it's in society, it's in all aspects. And it's, you know, over the last kind of five, six years, we have seen that, um, you know, more women are talking about it. But we need the conversation about menopause to be the exact same as the conversation about pregnancy. It's a normal, inevitable stage of a woman's life. Mm-hmm. You can't avoid it. You can't skirt around it. So we just need to make sure that women feel comfortable and most importantly that they feel supported when they talk about menopause so that's mm. really my mission and you know that's part of we're down in, I'm down in Cork in two weeks time with the menopause success summit and it's all about that it's informing women 
with practical, clear information to just show them how they can navigate menopause so that they can actually thrive through these years and not be afraid of it. So that they can understand HRT, that they can understand what are all the other options they can look at from acupuncture and so forth. So it's trying to just give women the information in a very clear and in a safe space from experts so that they understand these aren't years that you have to start fearing. Once you know what your treatment options are, then really this is a time of opportunity. Uh-huh. But the, you, the big issue is, is just understanding where you can go to for help, you know. Yeah. In, in what way is menopause and the taboos associated with menopause um, linked with, uh, you know, you, you feel a strong drive in some women uh, to to be reproductive, to to care for and mother and raise children, uh, you'll see that lacking in other women. Uh, and and is, is there a sort of a mental block, uh, or, or is there a sort of a connection with women of both uh, persuasions, shall we say, to feel when this starts to happen, um, my my usefulness in life, if you like, I'm coming over the hill. I'm trying to frame it yeah. in a way that's non-offensive. <laughs> but is, is is that is that the taboo? Yeah, well, it's it's definitely part of it. I and I, I I think you're spot on, Nick, because that is part of it. It's that whole thing about we don't want to age. Everyone's afraid of aging, and there's that whole thing of the, I hate the term, but it's invisible women, and it's, this whole concept are taught that you know once you hit fifty, you start to become invisible. Now, I just don't like that because I simply think we're not invisible, and. When you hit 50, you've got another good 30, 40, maybe 50 years to live. So to me, this is really, this is the halfway point. And it's really important to kind of make sure that we embrace it. But that's a much bigger question or a bigger thing in terms of society has to change how it approaches aging. And that's a big part of the conversation. I think another part of it is what I mentioned earlier, is the reluctance to talk about the more intimate symptoms of menopause. Um, and they, that's, like I always say, there's taboos within a taboo. And if we look at it like talking about urinary issues, talking about libido, talking about how you're feeling psychologically, that many women aren't comfortable with that. And so it's really just trying to, you know, give safe spaces, uh, but have the support there that you actually feel it's okay, that if you're in, a, if you're in work, you feel okay to say, oh God, it's just a hot flush. You know, just to make it normal. Yeah, that's the, probably the most abused cliche. Uh, you know, and, and uh, yeah. I, I, I've I've seen uh, people being put down by it. I've seen, oh, you're getting a hot flush, are you? Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and, and it I can think, be hurtful, I imagine. Oh, very much so. And I always say, like, menopause is like the iceberg analogy. There's some of the symptoms, like the hot flush, like the night sweats that you see above the surface. But there's so much more that's happening underneath. And to, 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 to simplify menopause and just say it's about hot flushes and night sweats is, is, is really a complete misunderstanding of the, the depth and the breadth of the symptoms of menopause. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you Google the symptoms, you'll see anywhere from 36 to 38. But I can tell you with thousands of women that I've worked with, my current listing is over 50. And I know for a fact because 
different women will experience different symptoms because we all have a unique journey as we go through menopause. So if you think about it, that's a lot to be dealing with on top of the fact that for the majority of women in natural menopause, they'll also be in the sandwich years, you know, where they might have, they're raising kids, they might have aging parents, and then they're in the middle with kind of work, with life, and then menopause on top of it. So you're trying, you're trying to juggle a lot and that can be very, very hard if you don't have the support and understanding of all of society. I had a very engaging uh, conversation yesterday with a young lady uh, called Jessney Vuelon who had a hysterectomy of 26, uh, suffered, oh, yeah. suffered immeasurably since uh, and mm. was one of the most positive people I've ever had to, uh, the, you know, the, the pleasure to interview on the radio. She had en- endometri- uh, endometriosis. Endometri- endo- endo- endometriosis. Endometriosis. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the medical terms and- get me. And, you know, and like for, for, for Jess, like that's really difficult. I always, I always say, Mick, that natural menopause is a privilege because if you just go through it at the average age, then yes, you might have cha- challenges and symptoms. But when you go through it earlier, like in Jess's situation, it's much harder because what actually happens is it's like you fall off a cliff. You literally, you go straight into the symptoms of menopause overnight after that surgery but it, these symptoms are way more intense yes. and some of them will just come at you so hard and fast that you're just blown over and in a lot of cases you know it can be as a result of treatment for endometriosis or unfortunately can also be as a result of um, treatment for cancer and in many cases unfortunately women aren't prepared enough for understanding that once they go through the treatment that on the on the other side of it they will then be faced with very hard and fast symptoms yeah. of menopause. I, I think and you've hit the nail on the head there Catherine though if 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 women could understand that uh, achieving natural menopause uh, is a blessing, but there are going to be minefields along the way, and we can help you with this, we can help you with that. Uh, there's this yeah. resource and that resource, then they might be better equipped uh, to navigate through and, and, and come through more positive the other side. Exactly, and I mean, that's the big ask from the, from uh, with the government, that a national awareness campaign is brought out in relation to menopause, and you know, it, my big thing is that, you know, when you hit the age of 45, ideally, you get a letter in your post, in the post, just like you do for your cervical smear, that basically says, right, okay, it's time for your perimenopause check, you know, check in with your doctor, sure. your nurse, your community centre and basically just, you know, make sure that you're prepared and you understand what's coming because the one most common thing I hear every single day from women is, Catherine, I think I'm going nuts. There's something wrong with me. I don't know what's happening. But they're not. It's simply they're starting perimenopause. And there's a huge fear in that, Mick, if you don't understand it. I know, I know you've spoken at the TED Talks, the TEDx Women event in Dublin in January. I think that you get 18 minutes to. I think we're on 17 now, Um, Catherine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we better we better go. I just I just want to note you you work with traveller women. Uh, is yes. is there is there a difference when you're working with traveller women than than women in, integrated into you know the uh, residential yeah. society or whatever? Mm-hmm. There is, there is, and just this week I, I was doing a lot of work with the HSC here in the southeast with the with the travelling community and the Roma community. Um, it is different, but their challenges their challenges are similar. In some situations, their challenges are actually harder, particularly when you look at depression, suicide rates, and the psychological aspects of menopause. One of the big challenges is just 
trying to make sure that you open up the support pathways for them so that they have support to, you know, correct medical treatment, to um, correct support, etc. But it's definitely, it is more challenging for them yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. Is it, is it very um, much a case of su- suffer on is the best cure, but you need to, you, they need to be educated more that that's not the case? Yeah, they they certainly would feel that, that they just need to get through it. But I would be very much trying to, you know, bring them around to the understanding. Actually, you don't. What you need is you need to understand what's happening and we need to make sure you get support. And that's really important because, you know, even, you know, when you work with the community liaison officers, etc., like they can start passing that information down. And, you know, women are so receptive, receptive of receiving the information because they're starved of it and that's what that's the big part we have got to get rid of and resolve in Ireland we've got to make sure that women don't have to go to Google to find out about what's happening in their body that they learn they learn about it both women and men learn about it in secondary school then the government is responsible for a national campaign that the awareness is there throughout life and that the awareness is there from the medical viewpoint as well so you know there's a lot that can be done from all pathways in life, it just needs a very targeted, consistent approach. They, we're definitely moving in the right directions. It's just going to take us time to train up all the GPs to just get all the, the, the you know, the, the parts in play. Mm. But, you know, I think the understanding is there. You know, everyone knows what needs to happen. We just need to start um, churning the wheels now. Catherine, and it's been, it's been make, most enlightening, but I'm way over time and uh, you're speaking so just, much sense. Just one thing, we do have three free tickets for the Menopause Success Summit, so I'll leave that with you, Mick, um, for any of your listeners who'd like to join us in your beautiful Cork on the 21st of May in the Radisson Blue. Okay, 21st of May. Uh, if you do have an interest in those tickets, please text us uh, because we don't want to jam up the phone lines. It's a talk show. So uh, 086-8104-106 if you have a genuine interest in those tickets. What date again, Catherine? The 21st of May, a Saturday. And uh, the venue? Uh, the Radisson Blue, and we'll be covering everything from HRT to brain health, you name it, all aspects of menopause. And as much as we have three free tickets now to give away, they can be bought as well? They can indeed, okay. yeah. yeah. Catherine O'Keefe, thank yeah. you so much. Okay, thanks, Mick. Thanks, all the best. Bye-bye. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. 17 minutes to 10. And, of course, every Friday on the Neil Prendival Show, it's Free Food Friday with Roosters Piri Piri in Douglas and Blackpool. What an amazing franchise Mark O'Donoghue has brought to Cork. Uh, absolutely superb. Just out in there recently. And the uh, the, the attendance, uh, ten, the, the staff attendance, if you like, uh, the cheeriness and the, the smiles and the just courteous, uh, second to none. Anyway, we want to feed 15 people. Uh, uh, with ourselves and Roosters Piri Piri. Winners get a selection of starters. This will consist of chicken wings, chicken skewers, beef skewers, a selection of mains, including chicken wraps, chicken pittas, and beef burgers. And uh, all meats are basted in their famous medium Piri Piri sauce. And they'll also throw in Piri salted fries, rice, and the newest side, which are waffle fries. They'll also throw in portions of Piri mayo and garlic Piri mayo as well. And as a special treat, you can build your own cheesecake with a selection of toppings like Kinder Bueno, 
rhino sauce, kinder pieces, Nutella, and lots more. Check it out on roosterspiripiri.com. They are in Douglas and in Blackpool. So text or WhatsApp saying who you are, where you work, and why you want us to pick you on 086 8104 106. Now, I'm also inviting calls and comments on uh, uh, this Facebook post, and I want to find out if it's true. I think it is true, actually, that the council are putting a stop to Patrick's Key, fondly known as Terminal 3, because it services so many people going to uh, leave the country from Dublin Airport. No longer will holiday goers in Cork be able to start their journey from Patrick's Key. It's a major uh, coach drop-off and pick-up point uh, and major coach companies like Air Coach and the Cove Connect bus, which is its own success story, are now being told they're no longer welcome to pick up passengers in the middle of the city centre. Cork City Council have confirmed that buses will be relocated to Coburg Street. What? Coburg Street is jammed at the best of times. You wouldn't fit a bus in there. The Lower Glenmire Road, that's miles away. Uh, and Anderson Key. Is this a good move by the council? Uh, let's get some calls and comments on that. Our phone number is 0818104106 and you can text to WhatsApp 0868104106. The end of Terminal 3, it seems, and the convenience and the sense that it brought to city centre uh, bus pickup times. Why are they moving? Why are they trying to uh, fix something that is inherently and obviously not broke? Uh, let's get more on that later in the programme. Brian Cullen, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Uh, you, you want to comment on that because uh, shifting tourist buses from a central location uh, to divulge two or three non-central locations doesn't make any sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Not a blessed bit. I mean, it's, uh, uh, there was thousands spent on a, on a little bridge to come across to, to, for the tourists, etc., to come into the main, the main artery of the city centre. And also it was used for people that would be coming from um, them buses to, to the main bus station, but uh, in their wisdom, whoever decided this is uh, causing upheaval to not alone to tourists coming in, but also to the the bus companies. It's great to get off of one bus and you're on to the next bus if you wanted to go to Dublin or to West Cork or whatever, you know. Um, I think instead of uh, taking the buses away, they should make it a, a, a proper bus terminal the whole way from that key. Yeah, because I, I, I know somebody who comes regularly from the Midlands and uh, they land on maybe the expressway service at the uh, the bus errand, bus depot, take a yeah. stroll across the new bridge uh, and they're, yeah. there, they're there at the Cove Connect. Um, yeah. That seems to be what they're trying to do away with now. Well, they may as well take, get rid of the, the bridge as well. Well, they're at it now because it's the only waste of space. Um, they're trying to improve the city but if anyone walks across the city, you are, especially when you're driving, you see every, nearly every um, street in the city is being narrowed. Yeah, no, I can understand private operators like Aircoach or Cove Connect being uh, slow or reticent to come on the air in case they'd upset the powers that be. Uh, and in yeah. that sense, it really falls to the travelling public to make their voices known. Uh, I wonder, are there any councillors who would uh, take our airwaves and... Uh, and give a salient argument as to why this needs to happen. Uh, I know it can be it can be a little inconvenient for for you know for general drivers uh, when a bus arrives and there's a little bit of a commotion as people pick up Johnny or Mary or the taxis arrive to pick people up or drop people off, uh, and it can cause a little bit of congestion on Patrick's Key. But for all that, it moves pretty well. It moves absolutely brilliant. I mean, it takes only a few seconds to come up up there, you know, because but at the moment. There's a lot of buses that will come in and they're nearly double parked at times. 
And that's what I'm saying, that the, the whole lot of that key should be for bus only. Forget about the bicycle thing, because they're trying to copy European countries. If anyone travels to European countries, they will see that the streets are fine and big, and they can put uh, cycle lanes on the left-hand side and on the right-hand side of them, of them streets and them cities. But Cork City is too small for the likes of that. I mean, say, take for example, just take a, a stroll over um, by Opera House Bridge there and go to the left to, to go over uh, Pope's Quay. Uh, it, it's something unbelievable what they're after doing there, narrowing the, the, the junction there that goes up Mulgrave Road and onto Pope's Quay. Okay, Ronnie, right Ronnie Dorney would agree with you. Ronnie, line two. Hi, Ronnie. Hi, how are you? I'm good. You think it's ridiculous as well, yeah? Oh, I think it's crazy. Yeah. I think it's a brilliant service. I think the location is absolutely perfect. Yeah. I've used Aircoach many times and I've spoken to some of the drivers. You know, they don't turn up until three or four minutes before they go. Everyone comes on, they, they check and scan your ticket and they're gone. Uh, right. And when they arrive, let's say you go to Dublin Airport, they are then forced, um, you know, by, by safety procedure. Uh, they don't drive back down to Cork. They head off for two and a half hours. They go to a depot, they eat, they rest, they relax, they watch TV. Uh, and then after that requisite break, they come back and bring the bus back to Cork. Um, That's right. Yeah, but it's a fantastic service in a great location, I would contend. Brilliant. What they should do, if, they, if they're worried about traffic, if that's their, their issue, why not make it just a drop and collect parking there only? And if no parking on the quay, if the buses pull in where they pull in, and the opposite side, there's very minimum parking on that key anyway. So why not make that just a drop-off area? And there's a car park on that key if you want to pay for the service. Oh, exactly. Uh, make, make the opposite side the uh, make the opposite side this the cycle lane and and leave terminal three for the buses. <coughs> yeah, and they also have made, uh, the new bridge to connect that end of town as well. So I think to be absolutely crazy. I think it's, it's an absolutely perfect spell, uh, location for it. Well, I'd love to hear the argument for. I'd love to hear the argument why this is considered by council to be a very good idea because patently with the general and travelling public uh, it seems like ludicrous to change what's already working. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is if, if you can't get parked you can just go up Bridge Street cross McCartney Street and you're there again in, in literally a minute. Yeah. You know, if, if, you're, no, if you're driving around looking for parking you're waiting for the bus to come. Yeah, no, I, I do take, you know, I do would take their point if they argued on Bridge Street and McCurtain Street it's causing congestion because there's a lot of cars come to pick people up, a lot of taxis, uh, and there really is only one way out. You either travel down towards the, you know, the, the Opera House direction uh, or you're going back down McCurtain Street to head down to the east again. Yes. But, I mean, I don't think that's an argument. It's only, uh, it's only for a few minutes why people are, you know, the buses, you could set your watch by those buses. They're so good, really, to be honest with you. Oh, they're fantastic. They, you know, they, as I say, they turn up, they don't, uh, they're not languishing on the quay for 15, 20 minutes. Uh, at the very no. most, if they're, if they're full, they'll turn up 10 minutes before departure and process everybody uh, and they're gone. Yeah, yeah. I know, as I say, I, I just think it would be absolutely a ludicrous move altogether to, to stop it. Yeah, Brian, I'd, I'd love to know, or do, do any of you, you guys know, where on Coburg Street could you actually even park a bus? There are pubs there, there's a funeral home there, there's a hotel there. Uh, where would you park a bus? I, I, I just Brian? Yeah, um, I, I, I fail to understand where they're getting the, the, the space for uh, uh, in Corbuck Street, except they're going back down by Murphy's Brewery direction, just pull in there. Yeah, and if you're dropping someone to Coburg Street and you're coming from the east, say, you've got to use Patrick's yeah. Key, go down opposite Lavitt's Key, 
go round the uh, Curl Street car park uh, and come back up. It's going to be an absolute mess. Bloody, yeah, it's going to be a bloody merry-go-round. That's what it is. But uh, I, I fail to understand the... You know, you, you talk about engineers. I tell you, I've seen some engineering works around the, around the city and in the suburbs, and it leaves an awful lot to be desired. No consultation whatsoever with the general public or people that would have the know-how where, where they're living and whatever, you know. Um, it's, it's an utter disgrace. I would imagine the use of Patrick's Key uh, came about because there was maybe one or two private operators uh, started to maybe request permission and been given permission to use there. And, and then it's it's grown uh, to become a, a much cherished service and, a, you know, a very reliable service in that space. Uh, I don't know of any other quayside where you can park five or six buses, uh, maybe five or six, maybe four buses um, uh, in a row and, and service so many people. Well... Uh, once upon a time, those buses used to go over to um, to Pope's Quay and uh, they were told to know in certain terms that they can't park there anymore and these were uh, tourist buses that came in from outside Ireland uh, told them to know in certain terms that they weren't uh, supposed to park there. Their parking place was at the opposite side down Patrick's Quay. Yeah, I'm just looking at a picture of, a, of Coburg Street. If you cleared all the parking <laughs> in front of the funeral home and the pubs there, you could probably fit two buses there. If you cleared all the parking... Maybe, so maybe it's not so outlandish an idea, but we'll uh, we'll ask two the public buses. for their opinion. Maybe two buses, yeah, not four though. Guys, we're going to have oh, to leave yeah. it there. Brian Cullen and uh, Ronnie Dorney, thank you very much for your input to the program this morning. Uh, You're welcome. Bye. Thanks a million. Bye bye. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. Oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. Courts Red FM. And Neil Prenderville returns from his well-deserved holiday on Monday week. Now, a couple of competitions. Uh, always busy on a Friday. Live at the Marquee River Dance on Sunday, uh, June fifth. Of course, it's all kicking off with the Coronas on Friday, May twenty-seventh. And what a host of entertainment is going to be at Live at the Marquee this year, becoming a very, very fond Cork tradition. Now, let's hope it keeps going for years to come. But each daily winner in this particular competition will be entered into a draw later in this program uh, to win a pre-concert meal for two people at Sober Lane, Cork's lively gastro pub in the heart of the city. We have one of our songs here today that I consider particularly difficult, so I want to give you a few chances to get to hear it. Uh, you'll need to identify both at about five minutes to twelve, so don't call just now, but have a listen. That's one very easy one and one very difficult one, I think. When heavy metal uh, entered the Eurovision, uh, we'll open the lines, as I say, in uh, about uh, two hours' time on that one. And don't forget to keep texting for Roosters Piri Piri. Text or WhatsApp where you are, uh, where you work, and why you want us to pick you in 0868104106. Free Food Friday with Roosters Piri Piri in Douglas and in Blackpool. On the Neil Prendival Show, two and a half minutes to ten with news on the way. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench. That's the Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. The bus is being moved from Patrick's Key. David Maloney has businesses in Patrick's Key, including a car park. Uh, and David, you're against the move of the buses? Yes, uh, we're vehemently against it. Uh, obviously, because it, with having the buses there, it affects our, our businesses uh, we have a lot of people who go off to Dublin, 
park their cars here, get on the buses, and then when they come back in the evening, they just come into the car park and, and collect their vehicles. Uh, there's no parking on the street at the, mo- uh, at, at the moment to cover them. And another side of this whole debacle is they're taking all the parking away from the street. And we had consultations with them. We had to call the city council out to us in July of last year. They never came uh, around and consulted with any of the businesses on the quay to see how this was going to affect them. There are a lot of established businesses on the street who, with the parking being removed, our car park, for example, they're uh, shortening the access uh, into the car park, so cars will not be able to drive safely into our car park. Uh, and what we've heard, now we called them out last year, and we were told, yes, they accept businesses are going to be affected, but uh, we can't really stand in the way of progress. And progress is what? Creating cycle lanes <laughs> and a kind of bohemian atmosphere on McCartan Street, is it? Yes, like it will look lovely, I'm sure, and it will, for the cyclists, it will be, it will be uh, of benefit to them. But uh, we are a nation of drivers, and cyclists in the summer are one thing, cyclists in the winter, they're not there. A few and far between. We're, we're not Amsterdam-like. No, definitely not. And, okay, when we called them out last year, we got this response from them, and we had to physically get in touch with them. They came nowhere near any of the businesses on the street. Again, this year, we had to again physically ring the council and say, will you come over and tell us what is happening? And we have had, I think, four meetings at this point in time. Uh, and one thing which I can't understand, and they are removing, they say they're removing the buses, the footpath on the riverside of the street, they're actually widening by about 11 feet. And the footpath on the side of the street where the businesses are they're actually making it narrower by about four feet so that, so, that it's already I, i've used your car park it's an attended car park uh, in other yeah. words you, you kind of fill it up uh, and and the, the guys who move the cars you know it's, it's a kind of a graded system how long will yeah. you be expected to uh, leave your car we'll put it here and then it's available for you and the lads drive it out so you can safely drive out when you when you leave uh, but it's already a tight turn onto a busy street when you're coming out to turn right from your car park now it's going to be really tight yeah the 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 distance like for even for moving out or driving out onto the street is not it wouldn't be the worst uh, case but it's actually when you're driving in we would have uh, a lot of elderly people who misjudge it coming in or, and, and might even kind of touch our, our gateposts when they come in. And that's as, as of at a distance of maybe 11 feet as we now look at it. They're talking about reducing that by about three or four feet. And you're straight onto a live lane of traffic. Um, so it's, it just does not make any sense. If they wanted, they could um, push the bus lane, or sorry, not the bus lanes, the cycle lanes, back further to the footpath on the other side. But no, they wanted out in the middle. Uh, so it's it, mm. but the whole issue uh, my big problem with them at the, at the time last year and also this year because I had to call them out again is they never came anywhere near any of the businesses here and one of my businesses is the car park another business I have a lot of property on it some of the bus companies are tenants of mine and if they're they have offices on the street here and their bus is down in Coburg Street or down in uh, Anderson's Quay uh, it's useless to them. So, I, obviously, I am going to lose that side of my business as well. 
so there was no consultation with any of the businesses uh, whatsoever, which I think is, they know where I am when they want to get paid the rates. They don't know where they am uh, when they want to come out and talk to me about this. Yeah, I once interviewed um, uh, Pat Dawson as, uh, when he was head of the Irish uh, IATA, the Travel Agents Association. And I asked him a genuine question. He couldn't answer me truthfully. Do more people leave uh, Cork for holidays and business from Cork Airport or from what's officially known as Terminal 3, Patrick's Key on the buses? He said, I honestly couldn't tell you. Um, so to facilitate um, bicycle lanes, uh, you're moving essentially the volume of, of, of traffic that you'd have in, in Cork Airport into three different locations. But most people who come for the buses, they're coming with bags, uh, you know, and, and, and carrying things. that They can't walk too far. So it's, it's going to cause mayhem traffic-wise, especially trying to get to Coburg Street from oh. the east. And, there, and there's this whole issue of connectivity, which they want the buses. Uh, I think you had uh, Mr. Long from West Cork uh, Coach on a couple of days ago, and he was saying, like, he gets people coming on his coach who are transferring onto the Dublin coach. And if he has to get the, offload them in Coburg Street, and then they have to walk to Anderson's Quay, uh, there's no connectivity between buses at all. And uh, that was the, the ideal situation there on Patrick's Key is you have the various Dublin coaches, you have Cove Connect, you have um, West Cork Connect, and they're all linking in together and passengers are transferring over. Mm-hmm. And as to the amount of people who are traveling, when I come, I'm coming to work in the morning at uh, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, the amount of people waiting or getting on the buses there. So it's, it is a huge volume of people there. I mean, if, if, if you're leaving Dublin Airport at 11 o'clock, at the moment you're going to have to be there at half seven. Uh, if a bus gets in at half seven, you're lucky because that's leaving now at four o'clock in the morning. Uh, and if, you know, they, they run every two hours. If that's, not, uh, if that's not a running time, it's going to be three o'clock in the morning. So Patrick's Key is used 24-7. Oh, definitely, yes. It is, uh, it is one of the biggest transfer, transfer points for bus, uh, buses, more so, I'd say, than even the, the, the bus station. Okay, um, let, let me ask you a question. I, I understand if you can't answer it, and it's only the cynic in me that's asking it. Uh, do you reckon there's pressure from uh, what's essentially a government agency, Bus Erin, on the other side of the river, to quell the success of these private operators and maybe concentrate more custom on their side? Uh, a comment had been made to me in the last couple of days as to who they, who they asked where we should locate the buses. And that, well, that company was the company we were told they, uh, they asked, yeah. not the bus companies involved. Okay. Um, David, we'll keep in touch. Uh, your car park is providing a great service there. It's, so, it's probably the closest car park to Patrick Street. Um, it, it, it probably is, is it? If, uh, other than, say, the Merchant's Key car park, which is on, on the island itself. Oh, but, yeah, on the island uh, itself, yeah. But over the bridge you're on Patrick Street from, yeah. from what's and, essentially and like, there, n- near what's now the casino, I think, isn't it? The, exactly, yes. Yeah, 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 Victoria. Yeah. 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 All right, David, thank you very okay. much. No Thanks. problem, thank you. Thanks, bye-bye. Let's go to uh, line four now and to Martin Noonan. Hi, Martin. Hi, how are things? You, sh- you say we should look to Galway. Yeah, so Galway has a bus station and uh, City Link. Uh, Go Bus, Aircoach, all operate in, but it's a private one, and uh, we should be looking at that. Like if uh, you look at Clarny, you look at um, um, what's called uh, Tralee, the bus station is right next to the train station. So why can't Cork uh, do exactly the same as that? Move Bus Aaron down next to the train station, move the private buses into Bus Aaron. 
you know what would be a brilliant sight for all of these buses, and, and I don't think there'd be any complaints, except maybe from the businesses on, on Patrick's Quay, and I know this can't happen because it's now in private ownership, but the former um, Port of Cork premises, the custom house there, uh, that's up for development, where the little city marina is, the city pontoon, that would be a lovely depot. It's near the train station, it's near the bus station, it's near the city centre, but as I say, it's now in private hands. Yeah. But this is where uh, Dublin uh, lost those uh, years ago. Every bus company has asked for um, to actually have a coach park inside Dublin, get the people in, use the lowest line, lowest thing. If if uh, the car people want uh, car to turn out like Dublin, this is the way it's going to happen. But the reason, Martin, I feel that Patrick's Key works so well is that everybody is kind of synchronised. Uh, they come and go, they come and go, they come and go. Uh, and there's an amazing uh, efficiency of throughput of people uh, that you're not going to get probably in a central site where everybody is, you know, um, vying for the best time of the day. It seems to work very well on Patrick's Key. Yeah, it does, in fairness. But what we're finding now, since they put in the bridge uh, and there's extra services coming in there from COVID, from Cork Connect to Damien Long's one, it's squeezing all the times very tight. So you'd have three buses, City Link, Aircoach, and Dublin bus all in on the one go. And then when the buses are coming down from Dublin, they don't have anywhere to park. And then you have the car connect, and the others up at the very top. So they're, when they took away the, the third section, they've squeezed everything. But now the question is, with the cruise liners coming back, where are they going to park? Yeah, okay, so... Right, what they've done in Galway is find a private operator who offered a site uh, and then kind of put every, yeah, everything in you there. In, you, you pick it up. If you go out to Dublin, you look at Bus Harris. It's in the middle of the town and the low line straight out uh, beside it. If uh, Cork could actually build something like that inside the city and uh, the private operators could go in, don't pay the city council anymore. Here, here, here's a suggestion. You'll, you'll have all the Bus Air and staff now shouting at their radios, right? Ask Bus Aaron to move to the train station and put all the private ones in the bus station on Parnell Place. Correct. That is the easiest option. That'll never happen, I'd say. But Martin, thanks for your call. Cheers. No problem. Have a good day. Uh, Martin, thanks, Martin. Uh, you mentioned Damien Long there. Damien, good morning. How are you? How are you? Very, very good. You're the Managing Director of West Cork Connects. The last time I spoke to you, Damien, was to uh, congratulate one of your drivers on his absolute impeccable public service and his care uh, for the customers and singing and giving him sweets and everything. Uh, a, lo- a lovely community service, if you remember. Yeah, it is. Yeah, look, it's a family-run business, so we, 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 we keep it neat. Now, and, n- now, uh, your, company is, n- now your company is looking at, uh, can I be so stark, your company is looking at being annihilated. Oh yeah, it's it is like and and it's falling on deaf ears. There's no one willing to listen. Um, decisions were made without asking anybody in the know, without bringing in any of the stakeholders that were the private operators to ask them anything about it. Um, and it's crazy what's going on here. What's what exactly? Because I just heard from the Facebook post that this was happening, and I'm thinking this is stupid. And I'm meant to be impartial in this in this seat, but you know when you see something, you think. <laughs> Uh, is is flying in the face of of common sense? You you, you kind of say you know it's stupid. Yeah. Um, it's but then, but then you know listening to Lana on the news, there's obviously a very very well thought out plan or not so well thought out plan. What exactly is being proposed? Yeah, it's a not so well thought out plan. There's actually no plan at all. I think. But 
Yeah, this was brought in under the McCurtain Street project, hidden under the McCurtain Street project, with absolutely no mention in the heading of Patrick's Key or anything to do with the removal of buses on, on St. Patrick's Key. Um, they made a statement that they met with operators and spoke to them 18 months ago. I can clarify that that didn't happen at all at all. So only in the last four months have we... Uh, and again, there wasn't a conversation. It was a letter to say, this is where you're going. And there's no conversation about it. Or, 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 or there's no talk to them. What's happening is they're removing every bus fare. There's 14 bus fares along that key which are used by all private operators that have licenses from the NTA, the National Transport Authority, to run services around rural Ireland. So they're going to remove all those buses and now they've, they've decided there's nowhere to put them so they're going to move them to different bays. Now, it's 14 bays reduced to six that's what it is. Now, now, as you know on St. Patrick's Key, there's not even room enough with 14 bits to keep this going. And now they're going to bring it out to six. So they built, they built a new bus shelter, a new bus bay with a bus stop down on Anderson's Key, um, down by the, the Simon shelter there, down by the Crossway from Juries. Um, that's one new one. They've built another one on the Lord Landmire Road, um, which is a short, new kind of little street that brings you off McCurtain Street down onto um, Alfred Street. Damien, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. How, how are elderly people supposed to drag themselves in and out of town from there? Which well, sure they can't, like. They, 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 they can't. And the problem is connectivity. This is, this is where it's wrong. Like, the problem is connectivity. We, we have services that leave Skibbereen, that leave Bantry every morning early. Um, we've them all day long, but our early morning service like from Skibbereen at quarter past six arrives in Cork City on Patrick's Key at five minutes to wait. The amount of people that get off that service take their bags and get straight onto the bus behind an air coach and go straight to Dublin. Like, uh, it's seamless. And then they're gone. Now, at the moment, we will now arrive on Anderson's Key at five minutes to wait. It'll be a 10-minute minimum walk across, but your air coach is gone at 8 o'clock. Forget it. There's no, there's no connection there anymore. So you're hanging around for an hour or two. Either that or you just drive your cars now in future and you try and find parking around the city and the whole idea of this public transport for Ireland and, you know, we have a Minister for Transport telling everybody in rural Ireland leave their cars at home and, and you know, he wants one car for 300 people or something. I mean, he's, he's talking about one thing on one side and then, and then they go along and they remove connectivity from Cork City on the other side. I mean, this, this, this is great. This is all for two cycle lanes. That's all. There's, like, and... I agree there should be cycle lanes. Yes, they're needed. But the cycle lanes could go on the opposite side of the road. I don't, hear any, I don't hear any cyclists out campaigning for the removal of the bus lanes. I, you know, we, we, we demand and we deserve a cycle lane here, so stop what you're doing. I haven't heard any of that. No, definitely not. No, and, 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 and there wasn't, like, you know. So, I mean, there is plenty of room on that key to put in a cycle lane and keep the bus lanes. But they want to push the private buses further out of the city. And, and, and it's all... That's what it's all about. Like, I mean, when I met the guy in charge in the council, like, the argument with, with him was that he was um, increasing connectivity by moving the Dublin buses closer to the train station. When I asked him to explain himself, and he said, you'll be able to get off the train and onto the air coach. But I tried to explain, why would you? You either use the train or the air coach. You don't use both. You know, you're not going to come from Dublin <laughs> on the train and get off. And get back, and get back, on, the get back up to Dublin on the air coach. But, but then, I, you know, and that answer to me how this was all done. No knowledge. No, like, the council are great people at spending millions and wasting on studies and feasibility studies and impact studies and studies about everything. There was no study done. There was no impact study. There was no feasibility study. 
They didn't even know what direction the bus is going. They didn't even know that the West Cork Connect goes in the direction um, to go out and do more pickups out on Western Road and Washington Street at CUH. They put us in Anderson's Key because they thought it was great. They said, ah, you'll be able to turn right at the end of Anderson's Key and go straight out to South Lincoln home to Skibbereen. They didn't think that we actually connect with everybody else in the city as well on our way out. So, um, but there's a big problem here because there's somebody making decisions that that unfortunately doesn't know how public transport works. Yes, but, but this, this, this isn't just for, for the city cyclists. This is going to permeate out into the entire county. This yes, will disenfranchise travellers across Cork County. It's, it's, it's going to destroy public transport it's it, for what's there in the city because what they don't realise is in rural Ireland 54% of passengers actually use the private operators in West Cork 80% of passengers would use West Cork Connect they use the private operator the private operator is, is, is the operator of choice for the people of rural Ireland it's different in Dublin City where they have Dublin Bus and they have the Lewis and they have the Dart and all that that's all been used by the people and, and private operators wouldn't be as big there. But when you come into rural Ireland, it's the private operator. But again, Cork City Council didn't know that, didn't understand that, and it's a case we we they don't need the private operator, so we can push them a little bit more out of the city, out of the way of the out of city centre. Okay. So, and um, and it, what I, can I, you do to stop this? Is is there anything you can do? Are you depending on your customers to make the arguments here? Sure, like. You see, the problem is, is it went on for so long without anybody knowing about it that all these streets are being changed and changed very quickly. I've never seen work done so fast. Uh, you know, when we met them and everything trying to slow this down, it seemed to get quicker. Um, they were putting diggers in, digging up the streets um, as fast as they could, so this couldn't be changed around. There's no stalling to it. You know, I see like someone with a bucket trying to stop the tide coming in here, like because there's no, there's no stop yet. They've just told us the end of the month, you're gone off the street. That's it. Um, Damien, I'm, I'm, go- I'm going to be accused of impartiality here and I'm, I'm very yeah. slow to walk the programme into any sort of trouble from, from the BAI. So here I am now, I'm imploring any politician, any councillor, uh, any other stakeholder that can argue uh, coherently for the movement of these buses, we're offering you the airwaves. Lest we be accused of being, uh, of being impartial uh, and one-sided in this. If anybody can come on and talk sense about why this makes sense, then we're, uh, we really want you to make contact with the programme and do so. Is that fair enough, Damien? I'm just trying, like. I don't think that's going to happen anyway, so I don't think it can be. That argument can never be done. So, like, um, like Patrick's Key, you've seen it every day. It's a hive of activity. Like, have a look at it. It works so well. People know where to go. Tourists know where to go. Everybody knows where to go. Send someone to Patrick's Key. That's how you get to Dublin, Galway, Waterford, Limerick, wherever. Yeah, and, and, and like you, you've connectivity the opposite way. You've connectivity from the expressway service across the Key and Parnell Place, over the bridge yeah. and onto the rural services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right beside him as well. It's it's it was a perfect layout. It couldn't have been any better. Um, and, and, and you you guys filled a niche that was left by deficiencies in the public transport system, and now it seems as if you're being punished because you're successful. Yeah, we, we are being punished. Like, and would you would you relocate to Parnell Place if it was offered? No, not not that I'm saying Bus Aaron would relocate down no, to the train station. No, they're not going to, but we would, of course. Like in Galway, they have a perfect um, private uh, bus bus station there, um, and it's 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 a great setup. But no, there was no thought of putting that in Cork, and there's no there's actually no thought process for the future to put something like that into into Cork City. Yeah, Parnell Place is an excellent location. It is like, but again, Patrick's Key was also an excellent 
excellent location, working perfectly just right across from it. And, you know, the services work hand in hand there as well. I mean, you, you would have a lot of people that would use the private and go straight across the panel place and use their services too. So, like, but take, take, the, take the concert uh, last Friday night when there was 40,000 people a night, Thursday and Friday night coming into Cork. Uh, like, when people left the concert, like, you could see them coming back into the city. You could see them all coming back towards Patrick's Key. People who didn't have buses booked, they knew they'd get home if they got to Patrick's Key. They knew the services would be there. They knew Cove was there. I mean, Cove Connect were there. The train stopped at 11 o'clock. Cove Connect had a stream of buses down the key ready to take everybody home. They put on an excellent service at mm. that hour of the night. Like. So they're, they're um, splitting with, Terminal 3 now into three. Uh, yeah. Into I, four, I'm reminded four, of... The, I, I can't remember the great Aran Island songwriter who wrote I Hate Politicians. Uh, I'm not saying yeah. I do, but I remember the Christy Moore song. Uh, he, did, he, did a, he did it great on the Late Late Show. We'll be looking at ways that we can better facilitate the formulation of a coherent strategy designed to lead us into the future with confidence in our proven ability to communicate on a meaningful level in an open and fair and transparent society with frontline facilities, roads and utilities, opening up new lines of inquiry about the possibility of uh, phasing out the elderly. Wonderful song. I think it, it describes politics so well today. Once again, the lines are open for any politician who could defend what seems like this ludicrous decision. Where do you go from here, Damien? The clock is ticking. End of the month, you're gone. The clock is ticking, yeah. I don't know what to do. I don't know. We're fighting every day and we're going to leave the last day be the hardest. But look, we were, we were set to start our new sales service on the hour every hour in, um, in September, which was going to be for the first time connecting Kinsale to people in, coming to the hospital in, in CUH, coming to UCC. It was going to come in that direction into Cork and, and facilitate all the students. There was fierce excitement about it starting. With the new bus stop and with where we've been put, that's the time won't work to do it on the hour every hour so it yeah. makes the service impossible. I wonder what the Lord Mayor's feeling is on this. Uh, we'll invite him on the yeah. air as well if, if, uh, he, if he'd like to do so. Uh, I also venture I also venture, and we've had this suggestion by text, uh, Damien, taxpayers have paid for the bus station. So any licensed operator of a bus should be allowed to use it. Really? They probably should. They, you're right, they probably should, but I, I, I presume that property is probably owned by Bus Aaron themselves or Aaron Road Aaron probably own it. So, but there is, like, yeah, I mean, there is a facility down by the train station that, like, Parnell Place is probably too small for Bus Aaron to be, to be truthful about it. It is too small. They're a big company. They're a big animal. Like, you know what I mean? They need space. They've got loads of buses. I mean, they're city bus servant. They need a bigger area. I, I, I think it would be a great move for them to build a complete new facility down by, um, down by the back of the train station. It would be a great move for them. Uh-huh. And, and, and then that the, the um, panel place could be used for, 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 for privates. But I just don't see that happening in the future. But Mick, look, this is the way it goes. You know, 60 years ago, they stopped the train to West Cork. They took up the train tracks. They said, ah, look, it won't be needed. It's not needed. Forget about it. They're crying today. They're crying today. It's not there. And they will put the today. trams back. No train tracks. And the trams. And the trams. But they'll cry, about, they'll cry about Patrick's Key as well in months to come when they'll figure out that the other ones... They're just not going to work. All right. It, it won't work. Damien, so. great to talk to you. You're talking great sense Thanks to me anyway. Million. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Thanks, uh, one Thanks, final sir. call on the topic, and that is Ray talking about McCurtain Street. They're making McCurtain Street wonderful. Or are they, Ray? Hi, Mick. How are things? Good, and yourself? Listen, Mick, um, just talking there regarding McCurtain Street and accessibility, I happened to be up there yesterday, uh, just walking around, whatever, and I noticed that if anyone, Mick, was visually impaired or with a mobility issue, be it a scooter or a wheelchair, they're running the gauntlet, quite honest, you know. Why is that? Um, because basically there's gazebos, kind of tents, you name it, 
on the pathway, which is all well and good for traders, and we're all for encouraging traders, but my point of view is that if you are visually impaired, you're kind of forced out from it, onto these kind of, they're like a pontoon for all the world. The next stop then, make is the road, you know. Um, and unfortunately, someone's using a, a walking aid or whatever. Um, it, it really is an accident waiting to happen. And I'm just questioning, did any of the city forwarders go up there and have a look at this with their own accessibility group inside the city council and say, lads, we need to re- re- rethink this again, you know. Um, it's so are, are there ramps on the street or is it just the, <coughs> the gazebos? It's like it's like make the ramps kind of uh, on both sides of the road. I call them a ramp. They're, they're like a pontoon. They're like a oh yes, I know what, what yeah, the I idea, understand. They have them, but they're running lengthways well, down the street. They're not like sleeping policemen. Well, my 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 point is that if you are walking there, and if say if you were a walking aid or a mobility scooter, it's very hard from access from one part of the street to the next part of the street. And if you're going to uh, make an area for access for, for uh, all, it has to be for all for all sections of society. Do you know what kind of point? That's my point, really, you know? Mm-hmm. That has to be open for everybody to get through safely from one end to another end. And I would encourage, and if you are getting the law mayor, maybe himself and his people inside his council, because might actually stroll the street and see what they think and maybe say, do you know what? We need to re- re- replan this a small bit better. That's like we're all for gazebos and encouraging traders, but... You have to think of all sections of society who use the street, do you know? I, I just can't understand destroying businesses and destroying accessibility in Patrick's Key uh, in, in some guise to make McCurtain Street better doesn't make any sense to me. Ray, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Mick. Thanks. 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 Cheers, my boy. Now, I want to talk to Eddie O'Sullivan uh, from Car Stereo Alarms, and I'll come back to Eddie in a moment. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. 24 and a half minutes to 11 o'clock. Mick Mulcahy in for Neil Prenderville. And Eddie O'Sullivan is on line three from Car Stereo and Alarm Systems on uh, Patrick's Key. Uh, Eddie, is this going to be good or bad for your business? Morning, Mick. Morning. Um, I would think it's going to be... Um, not great for my business because the fact that people can't even put them outside my door now to come in to do my products or drop off a car. Um, to go back to what Dave said there, the corporation totally ignored the three traders and patches key that actually drive in and off the key. We barely, we, we had to beg them to come over a meeting. We had a meeting with them about a year ago and we're going to come back with loads of plans and now it's here. It's um, it's going to be done. Um, they're putting cycle lanes. They're coming out seven and a half feet from the footpath on the far side where the buses park, and they're bringing everything out and pushing us. Um, no parking. There's going to be no parking patchy whatsoever, up or down. And I think is abs- There's no thought onto this. Absolutely no thought. So you're afraid that less and less people will be able to access your business, or even if they wanted to, it'd be very. It'd be less appealing. Yeah, the, the, the people can just pull up. I'm here 35 years. I paid 35 years of rates to city council and they hadn't the decency to come over and explain everything what's going on. You think 35 years of, of diligently paying your rates would at least warrant yeah. a, a consultation or the courtesy of a consultation? Absolutely. They came over about 12 months ago and they gave us a brief outline um, and that's about it. But as I said, it's, they have... They, I don't think they care about the the uh, the people who are working, who are trying to keep the city going, but they, they have no, they just don't care. So what's going to happen now is um, I often have people coming up to the quay and just dropping off people. They just pull in for two seconds. That's grand. But all the buses are going and 
I think it's going to be the end of Patrick's Key to what we know of. Yeah, and, and for what? To facilitate a cycle yeah. lane that could be possibly and put on the other side of the river. Absolutely, and there's a nice big footpath over in Merchant's Key, and um, will the actual cyclist cyc- cycle on the cycle lane? Because the majority of cyclists in this city, uh, either electric bikes or ordinary bikes, cycle on footpaths. Yes. And, and it, I think the corporation have an awful lot to, to, uh, to do in stopping these people from cycling on footpaths, danger for older people, people who are disabled, uh, but they just fly up and down. So do you think a cycle lane on the far side of the key is going to help? No. Uh, Eddie O'Sullivan from Carstairn and Lawrence Sisters, thank you. I don't think we've heard the end of this. This is uh, uh, something okay, that's going to have you. lots of legs over, over the coming weeks if it's all supposed to be uh, finishing up at the end of the month. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, Continue success with the business. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank now, you. Free Food Friday is, of course, for Roosters, Piri Piri and Douglas and Blackpool. We're going to feed 15 people. Winners will get a selection of starters consisting of chicken wings, chicken skewers, beef skewers, a selection of mains including chicken wraps, chicken pittas and beef burgers and all meats are basted in their famous medium Piri Piri sauce. And they'll also throw in Piri salted fries, uh, rice and the newest side waffle fries and also throw in portions of Piri mayo and garlic Piri mayo. And as a special treat, you can Build your own cheesecake with a selection of toppings like Kinder Bueno sauce, Kinder Pieces, Nutella and lots more. Check it out on RoostersPiriPiri.com. And vying for Free Food Friday this Friday is uh, Podrick here working in Clearstream in Cork City in a training room all day. So would love to win some roosters. Free Food Friday, please, for Kilsaran Quarry Ovens. Would love it here as we're busy getting a thousand tons out. Wow. Why not send us uh, the food to the Ukrainians? Staying in the Commons Inn be a nice treat for them today. Uh, I'm sure they would appreciate the gesture, says Patrick Lewis at Blarney Woolen Mills. Uh, Barry here working in Cork Builders in Blackpool. All flat out here revamping the showroom while still looking after our customers as best we can. A treat from Roosters on a Friday would be much appreciated. We all go there often enough for our lunch. O'Leary O'Sullivan Development working hard on site at Coppinger Fields. White's Cross regards from Colin. Would love to win some free food Friday for all the staff at Altonan International Moving and Storage and Moving Supplies in Ovens. Thanks Mick. Uh, free food Friday please for premium golf brands. Very hard workers and really busy at the moment so we're all wrecked and starving. We'd love to win this. Uh, free food Friday for the Puffin Ward. C-U-H Mary Coakley and all the ward would like some delicious roosters. So says Vince Conroy. And we'll have more through the course of the programme. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 Red FM. Coming up on 16 minutes to 11 o'clock and a National Day of Action is taking place today to demand urgent action to tackle the crisis within Children's Disability Services. There are currently protests on the Grand Parade in the city along with protests in Leinster House in Dublin and in Enniscorthy Town Square in County Wexford. Over 100,000 children with disabilities are on waiting lists across the country. Jamie O'Hara from Red FM News is down on Grand Parade. Morning, Jamie. Good morning, Mick. Tell us what's happening there. What's the atmosphere? Is it well attended? Uh, What's going on? Well, there's a group of probably around 150 to 200 parents here today. Um, I suppose the tone is one of frustration, really. Um, People are saying that this this is their first protest march. It's not going to be their last. And the issue is access to children's disability services. Uh, Today, we've got parents, children, guide dogs, wheelchairs, prams. There's some local politicians um, that I spotted on Grand Parade as well. There's signs, people have made their signs saying that they feel forgotten, not seen, 
you know, they're 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 asking to be heard. Um, I spoke to some parents, and um, there'll be more in the news at 11, but I spoke to some parents that were saying that uh, whatever amount of them are in the city today, there's 10 times that at home that just can't, they can't... They um, can't travel even if they want to. They, they, can't, can't, they can't physically make it. And it's something that, it's a daily occurrence, I mean, that these people are, the parents of children with disabilities are spending all of their time looking after their children and they, they, they're talking about that they need immediate outsourcing of assessments. They're saying that there's really long waiting lists for assessments and they say that, you know, they don't want families fundraising for wheelchairs. They're saying that, you know, we're all aware of GoFundMe campaigns and how, how generous Irish people are when it comes to them. They're saying that the state should be responsible for that. There should be no onus whatsoever on parents' communities. Um, they're calling for... This is one of the things as well that there was a common theme when I was talking to people um, just on Grand Parade, that they're calling for a recruitment and retention plan. And the common theme is that, uh, you know, they're saying that staff are leaving the public sector for the private sector. And um, just because, I guess, better pay conditions and um, like, like with anything. Burnout is also an issue... Uh, parents are saying they're getting very little res- respite, and that the respite they do get, then it's just it's just simply it's just simply not enough, or it comes too late. And uh-huh. you know, when you're trying to come back from burnout, it's very very difficult. Now, the Irish um, are the most generous in the world per head of capita. It's a well known fact when it comes to donating to charitable causes, uh, and there are myriad GoFundMe campaigns, as you mentioned. I wonder, in a sense, are we making a little making it a little bit easier for the powers that be? Uh, but having said that, the number is stark: over one hundred thousand children with disabilities are on waiting lists across the country. That's right, and it's seen in the action that's been taken today. We have Cork City here, we have Enniscorthy in Wexford, and also outside the Dáil. So cumulatively, that's thousands. And just like I mentioned earlier, that's probably ten times that that couldn't come out today. So it does seem to be a very widespread issue. Um, Now, today's march, it got underway after some speeches and there were some speakers and they spoke very movingly um, about the the difficulties that they're having. And, um, you know, there's a lot of frustration here. um, Basically, is the is the 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 thing they said it's not going to be the last march. And um, yeah, people are feeling people are feeling helpless, really. Yeah, I imagine a march on the Doyle will be the ultimate one when they'll uh, galvanize support from all over the country and get everyone who can travel uh, to travel. Thanks for for the uh, information, Jamie. I imagine there will be some sound bites and more information on the 11 o'clock news. Thanks, Mick. Thanks a million. Let's go to the march now, to Gavin Owens, currently marching right now, two sons diagnosed with autism. Good morning, Gavin. Good morning, how are you? I'm good. Uh, you, you felt it uh, incumbent to come out and uh, physically show your your presence and your objection to the uh, what seems like an inordinate amount of children waiting for uh, consultations with disabilities. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely disgraceful. I mean, we're, we're lucky in the sense that both my sons have their diagnoses completed, but that was many years ago. They've never received any intervention from the HSE whatsoever. And with with autism, with their specific needs, the um, what they what they really need and what really matters is intervention now. It's early intervention to decide, like uh, that decides how their adulthood will go. You know, that's okay. the difference between them requiring full time care or them being able to live as independent adults. You know? Did you get and, the diagnosis uh, done privately or did you get it done publicly? We ended up going private on both cases, yeah. Okay. H- how long would you have been waiting for, and how many years ago, first of all, and how long would you have been waiting for a public assessment? Um, so, 
we wait, we were waiting 13 months for my eldest son, and at that point we were obviously going through all the complaints, procedures, etc., and um, we realised it wasn't going to happen. Now, what we were told at the time um, was that he was actually on a wait list to go on to the wait list, um, so he was nowhere near being seen. You're so, on a waiting um, list. You, 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 you're trying to get medical expertise and intervention for your son, and you're told he's on a waiting list to be on a waiting list. Yes, that's that's the way it was at the time. And uh, so we went private because at that point uh, he needed to start in school, and we didn't. We had no assessment. We had nothing to be able to, no recommendations to be able to give his teachers for the school he started. He needed a place in an ASD unit, and again, we needed the assessment that recommended him to be in an ASD unit to be able to get that place. So we went a private route at that point. Um, for our second son, Tomas, he, we, we knew what the situation was. So we went away and we got uh, a psychological assessment done privately. Now we had to travel to Waterford to get that done. That in itself took a long time as well to organise. But at least we had something for his teachers starting school. I wouldn't imagine now, that was cheap either, was it? No, they're certainly not cheap. No, they're, um, the team diagnosis was, uh, I think it was 1,300 at the time. Uh, uh, how, how old are your sons now? How many years ago was that? Uh, they're eight and nine. Eight and so, nine. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, what is the difference between what afflicts them uh, with the condition? Are, are, are they, is it two different scenarios you're dealing with with your sons? Oh, uh, absolutely. They're like chalk and cheese. Um, the <laughs> Uh, they, they both have very different sensory profiles for our starters, so that means that like um, the sensory issues that affect them are different. So you know, it's like one one likes the light, one hates the light. On you know, so it's uh, it's it, it obviously gets a lot more serious than that. But it means you have to balance the two. It's meant that my wife has had to uh, stop working to be a full time carer for them and to be able to offer them the a lot of it is occupational. Therapy, sport is what they need. So going out to school, coming into school, it's, it's about keeping them, helping them to remain regulated. But um, they also need help to be able to learn how to regulate themselves. And uh, that's, that's, that's what allows them to engage um, with, the, with the wider world. It's what allows them to be able to try and navigate what is a neurotypical world when they're neurodiverse. Okay. And uh, that's, that's where the interventions are so crucial because... We're parents. We love our kids, but we're not OTs. We're not speech and language therapists. We're definitely not psychologists, you know? Mm. And um, that's what they need. And it's just, they need a team that's able to know them, you know, that they yeah. can see regularly, who can help guide them, and who can help us to guide them and their development. In, in, a, best, in a best case scenario, in an ideal world, what's the outlook for the, for the boys? In, in a best case scenario, with... As it stands, um, we continue going, trying to make sure they're getting the interventions privately when they're available because the situation is so dire now that it's, it's even difficult. It's waitless to get into private yeah. clinics and they're limited on what they can actually provide because they're limited by their therapist and how often the therapist change, If things don't change, what are we looking at? That's, it's very hard to assess with autism as to where things can end up but there's, there's a very good chance that we'll end up having to care for them into adulthood and the worst thing is is they're they're as bright as you and me probably brighter and you know 
like it's just helped me able to navigate the day to day world is okay. what they need and like Gavin, genuine intervention can do that Gavin thanks a million I want to get uh, one more parent lined up before uh, news at 11 so thanks very much and best of luck uh, what you're doing for the boys your son's 8 and 9 thanks Gavin Thank you so much. Thanks, Take cheers. Uh, Sarah O'Brien is a parent. Your son, Callum, is 12. Morning, Sarah. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Okay, your son was born with uh, a defect to his diaphragm. He was, yes. Yeah. So he was born with a right-sided diaphragmatic hernia, which means that on his right side, he'd no muscles or anything to hold his, to hold his, his muscles together, you could say. So all his organs and everything were all up in his chest. And... Um, so he was born early, uh, so I had to move off to Dublin to have him in Dublin. He went to Crumlin and um, he had his operation. Um, two days afterwards, it was 50-50 chance of survival chance. But we were lucky, he survived, he's a miracle. So, so we have a miracle, like, I mean, he was ventilated for so long. Uh, he came home from Crumlin into the CUH to get told that he doesn't have um, a disability, which meant... Hang on a second. With, 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 with what afflicted him, it's, it's prob- probably true he couldn't walk, couldn't talk, had difficulty... He couldn't walk, he couldn't talk, he couldn't eat. He couldn't eat? No. And, so he, and, and you were told he didn't meet disability requirements? He didn't have a disability, yeah. Oh, there's nothing wrong with so, him. Yeah, so they said, oh, but he's grand. He wasn't grand. He couldn't do anything. And um, so, like, like we were like, what are we meant to do then? So we were you, you, going you, to the earth. You're, you're meant to get an assessment, a professional assessment. We never got, we, we don't have our assessment. We never got an assessment. He never got a disability assessment done on him. He was in the early intervention team. They never picked up that he was deaf even in his right ear um, as well. So they were always putting it down. But when we, they were always putting it down that like, it's, all, it's got to do with his medical background. Um, that's what's wrong with him. It's all medical, medical. But no one ever listened to us. So like, if we were under a service like what we wanted to be at the time, we would have known what's wrong with our son. Like, we still don't know what's wrong with him. You still don't like, know what's wrong with your son. He can't walk, talk, or eat properly. Well, if he can walk, talk, and eat now. Yeah, yeah, yeah but at the time. time I'm just, is, yeah. is, is, was that the Ireland of today? You know, no, a child can't walk, talk, or eat, but you don't meet the criteria to, for assistance. Yeah. Sorry about that. Because his disability, you can't see his disability. It's hidden. So they only want people who have a disability to go under their services, not kids who don't have, who don't show anything. So, like, we're being pushed from one person to another person. We ring looking for help. Oh, someone will ring you back. No one is ringing us back. And if they do ring us back, then they don't, they can't deal with our our problem because they don't fall under that category. And the team, what Callum is under at the moment, is not even full. And Callum is so 12 now, so like... He's 12 now, yeah, and we need to try and look, go into uh, secondary schools for him, which I need, I need to apply for in October. Um, so you, you would contend... You, you would contend that the state's duty of care to Callum has been, has been non-existent? Of course I would, yeah, yeah. And uh, an RT shot from Cork, Micheál Martin, 
Jesus, Jack Lynch would be turning in his grave. As what my man always said, Jack Lynch would give anything to Cork when he was Taoiseach up there. And he'd be turning in his grave, looking down on top of Hall Martin. And even at that, I even went to Hall Martin, where my son was in Crumlin, to try and get home. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can help you with. And he's our, and he's meant to be our TD for helping people. They couldn't care less about our kids. They, they all they want is just everyone to be the same. No one to, they don't want anyone. They, 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 just, they just want people to be normal, you could say. They don't want kids like what we have because they don't want to deal with it. Okay, so Sarah. We are now taking a stand. I, I can, I can feel the emotion, but I, I have to I have to go. We've news at eleven coming up, and I, and I must be on time. But thank you very much. Best of luck with the protest. I'm sure it's not the last protest you'll be on either. Thank it's you, Sarah. Not, and, and I'm not keeping my mouth shut no more. Very good. Thank you, and best of luck to Callum, twelve-year-old Callum. News at eleven on the way on the Neil Prendival Show. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news, and you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106, Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy, and I'm joined on the line on the telephone by one of Ireland's most prolific and prominent live music artists. Imelda May, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Very good. Uh, thanks for joining us. Your Made to Love Irish tour is impending. Uh, and, of course, we're going to be pushing the Cork Opera House gigs. You're going to be with us on the 9th and 10th of May. Uh, Killarney on the 7th and Dublin's Vicar Street uh, on the 13th, 14th and 15th. So, welcome to the programme. 11 Past the Hour is the new album. Uh, your first music in years. I know it brims with sensuality. Uh, I know you always deliver music of emotional intelligence, intuition. Uh, I know you've been disenfranchised by the uh, pandemic, the same as the rest of us. And I know you must be dying to get back to live on stage, are you? Oh, I'm lo- well, I'm already, I'm on tour for since the end of, uh, I started the end of March. We did a whole um, England, Scotland, Wales, and then we've already been uh, in the North Belfast, Derry, we've been all over the place. Okay, so, the, the uh, Irish tour in particular, though, uh, of course, is here uh, we are. Yes. is going to have special meaning for you. Well, and I know you love to dance and sing with one. the crowd. Uh, I'm not a fan, as I don't think you are, of the uh, the formula uh, that makes uh, programs like the X Factor so successful. Um, you know, th- the music you've developed and the career you've developed has been uh, eked out and etched out of the music industry from the very start, and and also carries with it, I think, your love of the subject matter. Would it be fair to say you're you're you'd be born from rockabilly or from blues? I started singing blues and roots music. Blues um, and roots, not rockabilly. And, and it, 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 sorry? Blues and roots then, not rockabilly. No, but there doesn't need to be distinctions between everything all the time. Things flow, music and creativity flows, you know, but it was it was predominantly blues. But then, you know, I grew up with trad around everywhere and then I grew up with my parents singing all the crooner songs. So all of it goes into you. So I started with, with in uh, Brussels Blues Club, so it was blues and roots music and jazz and all that, and it just progressed. I, I just discovered loads of different music along the way, but I got, I suppose, labelled and known for a blip in my life, like one <laughs> one area, uh, which was rockabilly, but I'm, I moved before and I moved after and I'll continue to move because mm. I think 
that's what creativity is and that's what the joy is, you know, yeah. to be able, in life, isn't it, to be able to, to learn and change and enjoy every part of it. There's a bit of an urban myth. You might correct this. If it, is it true or not that at 16 years of age you were barred from Brussels from getting in to perform your own concert? Because you were underage. I was banned from, yeah, I was banned from a few of them because I was underage. I couldn't get in. Um, I was in a, a, a few bands and I, I, I couldn't get in. Um, I remember my name on the door at this club that was um, under Stephen's Green Centre and uh, I could hear the band. I was in this band called Mother Nature and I could hear them. I could <laughs> hear them on the outside. starting on the, on the stage and I was outside begging the bouncer to let me in. It happened a lot. Okay, it's a veritable who's who. Would, yeah. would it be fair to say, as John Peel would be credited with maybe not discovering but really launching Thin Lizzy, that it was Jules Holland for you? Yeah, that was a, a big moment after being on his show, for sure. Um, uh, but I had I had so many support, so much support from so many people. I had, um, yeah, I, there's been a million people on the way, but Jules Holland, for sure, definitely mm-hmm. everything changed after that. Because you've performed with... Uh... I had Michael Parkinson was supporting me before that. He had me play in his, his little pub and he used to put me on as a residency in his oh, brilliant. pub and say, somebody's going to hear you. Somebody needs to hear you, you know. Somebody believes in you. And they did hear you. You performed with you too, with Lou Reed, Sinead O'Connor. Uh, you performed with Robert Plant, Van der Man, Jack Savaretti. Now, there's an artist that uh, is just being discovered. His album is brilliant, actually. Uh, and you've played with Elvis Costello. You've live toured with uh, Jeff Beck and your buddies with Ronnie Wood. The list goes on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm lucky I get to play with the most amazing people. Um, and it's fun. You know, I love meeting people who are brilliant and inspiring. And Jeff did a huge amount for me. And um, Jeff Beck, we toured all over America. And I met a lot of people. It, Jeff introduced me to a lot of people. He's so good. And uh, not many people know, of course, you're a bit of a multi-instrumentalist. You play bass guitar as well as guitar. Uh, but you also play uh, baron. I don't. You don't play bass? I just play bass. No, I just play baron and, and uh, I play guitar badly. Um, but I, I write songs on guitar and uh, and then I get really good guitarists to play better. <laughs> Great stuff. Tell us a little about the what is now your sixth studio album, 11 Past the Hour, because it is your first music in four years. Um, 11 Past the Hour, it's been out a year. It's all kind of gone upside down with this, with with the with the um, pandemic, but it's been out a year and um, it's normally I'd have toured before that, so well, myself and the band were itching to get out on the road with this to to, to tour it. So it's brilliant, even though it's late, but it's brilliant because people have been sitting with this album for a year, so they know the song. So it's kind of gorgeous, and I've never had so much reaction um, to a tour. Um, I've worked really hard on this tour for quite a long time, all visuals and art, and there's a little bit of poetry in there. Um, and uh, a huge amount of, I move you through a journey on, on the gig because I, I thought people deserved you know as much as possible especially fans who have been um, supporting us more than governments have to be honest um, while this pandemic we're on they've been really keeping us going and I wanted to pay back and give them as much as I possibly could and yeah. I bring you on this creative journey and I've never had so much gushing beautiful feedback and I sent everybody home hopefully 
full of love and on an absolute high because I'm very grateful and thankful for And has there a bit of poetry in the show, Amelia? Because I just want to give a nod to your poetry abilities because your poetry EP, Slip of the Tongue, was released to widespread critical acclaim. And of course, you you also had the Rethink Ireland campaign where we all saw on the national airwaves uh, you don't get to be racist and Irish. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm sitting here, I've just finished a poem just before I talked with you about about a, a, a massage I had in Galway. <laughs> um, I haven't tweaked it yet, it's just the first draft of it. But yeah, I'm, I'm, do you want to hear it? Please, why not? It's not finished, so don't quote me. Okay. Uh, Galway queen, golden in name and nature, cascaded strokes upon my skin, oil gloved and gilded over the rocks in my shoulders, crescendos of gothic attempted from piped in zen, as orange blossom gushed up my nostrils and pe- penetrated my senses, sent therapy, sent to help me in till She needed me, but I needed her. Wow, that is beautiful. A lovely alliteration, just- lovely play on words, and it's, it's a work in progress, is it? Yeah, I've just finished the first round, so that's the first bit of it, and then I'll just keep going back to it so you can subscribe. Yeah, you're a liberties girl, and you're uncompromisingly Dublin, very much like we have John Spillane, who won't surrender anything Cork whatsoever. Uncompromisingly Cork. Uh, you're proud of your roots? Yes. Well, my yes, I am Dublin, but my um, my great-granny was from Cork. Oh, really? Yeah, Katie Kelly was from Cork, and um, and then ended up moving down to Dublin. Well, we normally she say met, up uh, to Dublin. A, a, a Morrissey man. Uh, what part of Cork is she from? Do you know? I don't. My mum. My mum knows. Normally, my mum would go down and visit all our cousins. Okay. Um, so I'm hoping there's a few come to the gig, but the gig is packed out, and I love gigging in Cork. Yeah, um, and the and Opera House is such a lovely band. venue. The Opera House and the Everyman in Cork are it's just they're two That's very wild, warm huh? venues. Uh, you know, the good and the great have played there, Rory Gallagher and uh, all of the jazz greats that you might have admired as well. Uh, so it's the 9th and uh, 10th of uh, May. Uh, people can expect a good rocking show, a sensual show, a song, a show with a bit of poetry, a little bit of everything. They, they can expect joy because they deserve joy. They, if anybody's coming out for a night, I want to send you home on a high after not been to gigs for so long and we're back and I want everybody to go home feeling absolutely fabulous. Great stuff, Imelda. Listen, looking forward to catching one of the gigs myself and uh, uh, I'm sure it's going to be a powerhouse of joy and emotion. We welcome you back to Cork, the real capital, 9th and 10th of May. Imelda May, live at the Cork Opera House. Thank you, Imelda. Thank you. Cheers. I can't wait. Bye-bye. To what you say To the diamonds beneath their feet Lovely to talk to Amelda May on the programme this morning, Monday and Tuesday night on the Opera House, 9th and uh, 10th of May. That's Diamonds uh, from 11 past the hour, the new album, out about a year now. Uh, but she's touring it right now and will do so in Cork on Monday and Tuesday night, Imelda May. Now to our Free Food Friday, we love Piri Piri, East Cork Oil in Middleton. Uh, front office staff and uh, drivers, we've had no luck with Neil, so hopefully Mick will be our lucky charm. Free Food Friday for Leisure World Ch- uh, Churchfield, please. We're working hard, uh, looking out at the lovely weather and we'd love this treat lunch would be lovely make a treat for all the gang in Ballyvihan Health Centre would cheer us up right now after a hectic week morning make impact Ireland metals and Glanmire would love some uh, roosters please all the lads in the warehouse and sales office have been working very hard this week and happy Friday free food Friday for Paddy O'Donovan all the gang at Alcon Model Farm Road roosters Piri Piri for Elaine Angelini I work in Stryker in Spring Hill and Carrick Tool I'd love to win lunch for the engineering and quality team as everybody works really hard and could do with a treat on this gloomy Friday afternoon thank you uh, 
Hey Mick, please, please, please send Free Food Friday Roosters to all of the hard-working stylists at Noreen's Hair Studio in White's Cross. It's Lynn's last day as she's finishing up to go on maternity leave and we all want to wish her the best of luck from all the staff here. Uh, Noreen, Ella, Brida, Ita, Catherine and Sheila Kay all working very hard in the lovely sunshine. Lots of staff and clients to get through. The uh, Roosters hamper of food is badly needed as it's a very busy, busy week. Donna Coleman and uh, they're all at the Hair and Brow Factory in Douglas. This is my new job. You're listening to the number one talk show. Whoops. Uh, that wasn't me. That was a little gremlin in the system. But we'll take a break right now. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Hopefully no more gremlins in the system. The ad break was going to play anyway, so I had to shut up and let it play. Uh, didn't touch anything. That's just one of those things on live radio. There you go. Uh, it's all about how you react, isn't it? Anyway, uh, hi Mick and all of the gang. Uh, Sally and the gang at ProQuip Limited in Churchfield. Would love some roosters piri piri. Hi Mick and the team. Free Food Friday shout out to uh, the Dally uh, to D- the Dally and Kieran at BCE uh, Consulting Engineers at the Marina Commercial Park Luke from Cullenview Interiors and Riverstick been a long time please enter us 15 hungry workers Free Food Friday shout out to all the staff at EBO Home Rescue in the Marina Commercial Park another batch Free Food Friday for Broderick's Chemist in Barrick Street uh, Roosters for PGB uh, Sport from Jade Free Food Friday we love it here at East Cork Oil front office in Middleton we love nothing more than a treat today to make a great start to the weekend. All the gang in PETCT and MRI unit in the CUH. We'd love some roosters for Cork Hygiene Limited on the Sarsfield Road. And one more. Hi guys, lunch for 30 of us at Zucar Little Island, please, from Dennis Lowther in the north side. And uh, we also uh, need to uh, give you a little detail on Riverdance. I wanted to play it a little bit more today because there is a very difficult one in there and in that sense I'm going to open the lines early but I want you to have a listen a very difficult first one and a very easy second one and we're going to sort summer for you with uh, Riverdance coming to town on the uh, 5th of June So look up your heavy metal if you want to get the answers right. We'll open the lines right now, actually, on 0818-104-106. 0818-104-106. Because we'll also need to put today's winner in a draw with the other three winners of this week, it being a short week, uh, and uh, upgrade one of you to a pre-concert meal for two at Sober Lane, Cork's lively gastro pub in the heart of the city. It's a tough one today. <laughs> Second one, though, should present no problems to you. Lines open now on 0818-104-106. Now, at least one councillor uh, is prepared to nail his colours to the mast. A text from councillor Paudy Deneen on the buses. Uh, hi, Mick. At a briefing on the upgrade of McCurtain Street some weeks ago, we were informed of the proposed movement of the buses from Patrick's Quay. At the time, I raised my concerns with this proposal. I now have more concerns with the proposals, having heard there is a complete lack of communication and discussion with the parties who are and will be most affected vis-a-vis the bus operators, the uh, businesses in the area, not least of all, uh, the enormous travelling public that would seem to be about to be disenfranchised. Uh, I'm, that's me paraphrasing. That's not Pawdy. Uh, I would, uh, back to Pawdy, I would uh, support a meeting of council and bus operators at, uh, and local business owners to discuss the concerns being raised with a view to addressing the concerns appropriately. I will also private message the Lord Mayor asking him to call the meeting as soon as possible. And that's a little bit of progress there for those who would be concerned at the uh, proposed movements. And that comes from Councillor uh, 
Pawdy Denina. I had a text as well from uh, Kevin Meany who said uh, there's been buses operating there as far back as 1986 in my memory, but possibly uh, even longer. From there, 1986, I got the Slattery's bus to the UK. Now then, let's go back to our phone lines. And Tony Carroll is on line one. Hiya, Tony. Hi, Mick. How are you getting on? I'm good. You're looking for someone, uh, a knight in shining armour to come and save your daughter's communion day, which is only tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. We had a um, a bouncy castle booked for the kids, you know, for um, just last November. And um, it got cancelled last night on us, very unexpectedly. And um, it's just that, well, we've a little girl, she's making her communion, but we've a, a young lad as well. And um, he's got special needs, you know. And, well, the thing about the bouncy castle, it allows him to interact with the other kids. Um, it's just wonderful for him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be big. It was going to be the focal point of the day, really. And how how can uh, they take a booking as far back as November and only cancel it twenty four hours before it's needed? Well, I I don't know if I can go into it now because like it's. Well, it's, don't mention any names, but is it an yeah, insurance yeah, issue or right. something? No, no, no. It's nothing like that. It's nothing like that. I mean, my wife booked it by text on November third, and then she confirmed it on January thirty first. Um, all by text, you know, she's very meticulous with these kind of things. And um, basically, we got a phone call last night then to say that um, the, the company had logistic problems. They had outsourced it to a company that's nearer to where we live. And that company had let them down. Okay. Um, so pass the blame, we were dealing with, 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 Yeah, it's, yeah they're okay. just passing the book. Really anyway, look, at it, it, is, it is what it is. Let's see what we can do. What do you need? Well, we just need a bouncy castle for, 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 for an assortment of kids really from from what? From two years up to up to eleven, you know, just to just to bounce around on for the day really, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. May May is not the best time of the year to be looking for a bouncy castle. No, it's a nightmare, it's a nightmare. And my wife has put so much work into this. She's just a perf- you know, she just you know, she's down on her hands and knees making little things for the kids to play with tomorrow evening and all this kind of stuff. Sure. And yeah. It's just it's upsetting for her, you know, because like she puts her heart and soul into these things, you know. I understand. Uh, and she said she the kids are coming home, and you know they're expecting to see the bouncy castle, and you know it's a big thing for for our kids. Like that's all as they want, you know. And I'm I'm sure your daughter's communion day will go well, but your son, really, that will leave him kind of excluded, won't it? Yeah, unfortunately, it will you know? I mean, he's a great kid. He's the, like he he's got a condition, so he's more like a three or four year old, you know. But like. He's he's always in high spirits, um, but it just allows him to be more sociable with the kids and the other kids. Just to kind of interact more with him, you know, because he can kind of move sure. at the same pace as him. I've I've a friend, and many years ago, uh, possibly foreseeing the insurance issues and the lack of availability of bouncy castles, etc., went off and bought his own one and used it for the kids for dozens and dozens of parties and for friends' children uh, as well. I'm not sure if he still has it, but Lenny, Lenny K, if you're listening. Uh, we could do it at the end of the Bouncy Castle tomorrow. I might, might give him a ring after the programme, see if he still has it, all right? Jeez, that'd be fantastic, Mick. Honest to God. But there must be somebody out there now who, um, because we can't depend on something I haven't seen for 10 years. Um, let's, uh, let's see if anybody out there can offer anything in the way of a Bouncy Castle. I know it's communion time. I know they're at a premium. I know that a lot of people have gone out of business because of the lack of availability of uh, cost-effective insurance. But surely there's a yeah. uh, Bouncy Castle somewhere uh, in Cork that yeah. could save not only your daughter's day but your son who has special needs and um, yeah. uh, and so that he won't be excluded okay so we, yeah, we hopefully will be in touch before the end of the programme and uh, and uh, hopefully we'll have some good news for you as well oh I appreciate that okay? I appreciate that 
Thanks right. a million. Thanks a million, Mick. All right, thanks. Cheers, Tony. Okay. That's Tony Carroll. We really would like to help him out. That'd be a nice way to end our Friday if we could help out Tony and uh, get that bouncy castle sorted in time for the communion tomorrow. Uh, it's Free Food Friday again, of course. Winners getting a selection of starters, including uh, chicken wings, chicken skewers, beef skewers, a selection of mains, including chicken wraps, all from Roosters, Piri Piri in Douglas and Blackpool. Beef burgers, chicken pittas, all meats basted in their famous medium, Piri Piri sauce, and also throwing in a selection of Piri salted fries, rice, and the newest side, waffle fries. They'll also throw in portions of Piri mayo and garlic Piri mayo. And as a special treat, you can build your own cheesecake as well, and you can have a choice of uh, Kinder Bueno sauce, Kinder Pieces, Nutella, and lots, lots more. And we're getting hundreds of texts in. Red FM, uh, shout out to all in Common Sports Warehouse staff in Little Island. We would all gladly share. We're working away for the busy shops and the online shop for the summer. We'll share with the office lads as well. James McGlinchey and all the lads at Munster Garden Sheds, working around the clock seven days a week, uh, getting ready for the busy summer months ahead. We'd all love a good feed. We'd love to win the Free Food Friday in Glantan National School outside Mallow. Loving the show. Shout out to all the staff working at O'Leary's, Lasarda and Volkswagen. Free food alert. We'd love Rooster's Piri Piri uh, for East Cork oil staff and drivers in Middleton. Uh, let this be our lucky week, please, Mick. We are starving. You guys don't give up to your Roosters, uh, Roosters, please, for Amari Island Limited on the Tramore Road. Lunch, please, Mick, for Unique Fit Out. Unit 4, Sarsfield Industrial Estate in Glanmire from Blue Coast Skip Hire. Uh, working in Cove, Power Aggregates Limited in Carrick Jewel. Uh, keep up the good work from all the team in Unified Packaging Group, IDA Business Park in Carrick Jewel. Ma'am Carol O'Connor, working at the very vis- busy, popular Dean Hotel. Love to win the prize. Free Food Friday. Uh, cheeky Cherubs, I've mentioned you already, I think. Uh, all the hard workers from Rockwell Engineering in Janssen, Ring a Skitty, and my partner Owen. Uh, Free Food Friday for my sister Laura O'Connor, working in Kilcully. Uh, custom wear in Donnybrook Hill. ISS Services, chefs and kitchen staff. Uh, about 10 of us here. Happy Friday to all at Red FM and Piri Piri Chicken. Would be great for all at ECI JCB and Carrick Chew. I think I've called you out already as well. Uh, Pat Dunley here with Kieran and, and Nail. Uh, down in Kinsale for Kevin McCalling, uh, McCallum Building. We'd love some free food and love the show. We'll have another bunch of mentions before we give away our Free Food Friday towards the end of the programme. Just turning 11.30 and line two, we have uh, a corkman, Rob, who's transforming an old boatyard into something brand new. Good morning, Rob. Mick, how are you keeping? I'm very good. Now, you are, are turning, um, let's just say, 40-foot containers that you bought big rusty old hulks of things, into pristine restaurants. That's right, that's right. You know, um, I just got the idea there, uh, obviously because there's a few of these things popping up there uh, around around the world, really, and around the country, and they're getting so popular because of, you know, what's happened with COVID, you know, and uh, I suppose people's uh, eating habits and everything have changed, and I just think it would be a great addition to Cove. So okay, so it's happen- yeah. happening in Cove. Now, we've all seen the success of the marina market, uh, and the black market, uh, and now this is going to um, really transform uh, the dining experience in Cove. Now, it's all about location, location and location, Rob, isn't it? Uh, and you've got one of the best. Uh, I've, I've uncles who built boats on that site. It's the old maritime industry site right next to the Cross River Ferry. Uh, you couldn't get a better view than that now. It's just fantastic. Um, I suppose initially, even when I was getting the site there, Mick, um, like I, I have a different business there, uh, solid fuel. Uh, I have a few fuel depots around Cork, uh, Colin Fuels, and I was going to transform it to an actual coal depot, but like after you know a couple of months and just going through the process and standing there, I said, the place is just 
just absolutely magnificent and it's such a good view and then the weather started changing so you know my mind started racing and I just I knew that something like this would just be absolutely fantastic for Cove and Cork because everyone from even around the country is actually contacting me saying they're going to come down and I just my plans and my mind everything is racing and I'm going to make the place absolutely fantastic so how's it going to work am I wrong to think that you're going to have a kind of a drive-through fuel depot first is is it now going to be parking and uh, get out of your car and enjoy the facilities or what that's right, that's right. Um, I, we have a car park kind of towards the left there as you come in, so there'll be plenty of car spaces and you, know, you can just walk over, you can go to the hatches and you can sit down and I suppose what we're getting ready this, this week there now, we're making huts and we're making pallet furniture and we're just going to just try and make it a really nice family-friendly atmosphere, just, just really a nice place to kind of go sit down and enjoy your tea or feel free to come and take away and it's just... Uh, It'll just be a a lovely spot. I, I just think it'll be absolutely beautiful. Yeah, so I, I imagine as most places like this, uh, Rob, you'll open before it's fully finished, but you'll open when there's enough there to attract people. That's right, that's right. We'll probably do a bit of a soft opening there now, uh, maybe the start of next month, but then we'll, I suppose we'll we'll probably try to uh, do some bit of a grand opening then. You know, I suppose if you just watch uh, my TikTok or Instagram there, I, I will be giving updates just then... Uh, and you know, when we're going to do the grand opening, but uh, I'd say earliest definitely will be the end of next, the start of next month. Okay, so there's going to be a coffee shop, there'll be a fish and chip place, uh, a stall run by Handsome Rotisserie Chicken. Uh, you'll find them as well on the Marina Market if you want to check them out. And an ice cream and waffle spot and a burger joint. Uh, yeah, and is, is this takeaway or, or eat on site? It'll, it'll be both. It'll be both. Yeah, you can you can come in, you can take away, or you can eat on site. Um, like the lad, to be honest, now my my big plan was to kind of do it all myself, but um, uh, like uh, it, it's kind of taken off so much, and there's such a like it, it's such a, a task to actually do all this that I've actually brought in um, a couple of people or a couple of close friends with me who are actually in the business. Um, like we have just uh, great guys kind of on board there now. Um, who are in catering and in in hospitality, lads in finance, and they're they've massive. Uh, like I just say that they've got. Uh, oh, I don't know what you call it. They, they, well, there's power in numbers, and I suppose they're they're helping to support the costs of uh, of your lease or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. 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 Okay, so this is going to really revolutionise Cove. It's in a wonderful spot. If you pass the uh, the Cross River Ferry, uh, that gives that great service between uh, Carrigaloe and Glenbrook, then you, you can't miss it. If you're on the Passage Monkstown side of the river, uh, you can't miss the development in the distance. And of course, if you're on the Cove side, uh, just outside Rushbrook, you'll see all of the uh, containers going in there, and all multicoloured and all gaily coloured and all of that. Um, uh, my, my buddy is actually the owner of that site, and he no, he owns more boats than we've had hot dinners, right? So <laughs> that's right, that's right. I, I assumed he was going to make it into a boat storage yard or a boat yard facility, uh, and maybe it'll be that again in the, in the fullness of its life as it started out. Uh, but for now and for the next uh, foreseeable future is going to be uh, Rob's Boatyard uh, in a different sense and that it's going to offer all the fun of the fair. Waffles, ice creams, burger joint, rotisserie chicken, a stall run by Handsome there, uh, a fish and chip place as well and all on the banks of the Lee and all with a fantastic view and that wonderful sight. That's, that's exactly it. And if everyone could just follow me, follow there along in the journey, I'll be putting up regular videos there 
on uh, the Boatyard Cove on TikTok and Instagram. The Boatyard Cove on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, is it Rob Colin or Coughlin? We always have to ask. Yeah, I suppose it is Colin in the city and Coughlin once you go a bit <laughs> further. But, uh, Out to McCroom and West, it's Coughlin. And I hope to see you now, Mick, definitely. Oh, not so, a bother. Thanks a million. Listen, I appreciate that. Thank Cheers, you Rob, much. and uh, all the very best. That, uh, that took some imagination. It's a great idea. Uh, it was originally going to be just a fuel depot would drive through, and now it's going to be a, a big enhancement uh, for the dining activities and uh, for people coming and going on the ferry as well. going to be a nice little stop for a coffee or whatever. Uh, didn't expect to be talking to Tony Carl again so quick. Hi, Tony. Hi, Mick. How are we getting on? Very good. The power of live radio. Kevin Carney is on th- line three. Hi, Kevin. How are we, Mick? Very good. Tony's on the line there, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Oh, what have you got for us, Kevin? So I, I, I own a bouncy castle myself. It's a superhero one with a slide off the side of it. I bought it two years ago for my kids, but I rented out to friends and family and all that. And if you are stuck, it's there for your use, no problem. Okay, are we getting this for free or is it going to be a charge? Um, I'll do it for my love of of him for free, Phil. I had to, I had to strong arm you there. <laughs> you did indeed, I, you know it's for a worthy cause. We have uh, a child's uh, uh, communion, uh, you know, and they were dropped. This family were dropped in it, and he's got a special needs child as well who would be excluded without this. So uh, I am sorry for appealing, Kevin, but I do appreciate your big heart and that you're giving it for nothing. Um, now, is, no is, it, is it possible you can deliver and collect it, or what do we do in no, that I regard? Can, I can do, yeah, I yeah. can do. And give whatever advice is needed safety-wise and all that. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, all I need is the, the address and stuff when I can pop over. Um, my advice is if I pop it over maybe this evening and then if you're, you know, if you're the party tomorrow, whatever it is, get it up as early as possible because if it's raining and stuff, it'll dry out in for and that. Perfect. Yeah, oh. good man. And Kevin, we'll, right, we'll look so after if, you. Know, we'll, we'll, we'll look after you all right, for a bit of diesel money in it. Something like that, you know. Ah, we'll, yeah. Uh, so look, I'm only in Balancolic myself. So look, I'll tell, tell you what we'll do. Tell you what we do. You're a drinking man, Kevin. Um, sometimes that. Yeah. Sometimes, all right. What about leaving a gallon over the over the bar in his favourite pub? That's that's, oh, sure. that's very fair. No, that's very fair. Yeah. We we look after you, all right, for, for, for sure. Like, because you're really being awesome here. Like, there's no worries. And Kevin, there's no worries. Look, it's all for the children. And Kevin, because of your love of Red FM, right? We're going to give you Roosters Peri Peri vouchers as well. You're not winning the big competition now, but we're going to give you some vouchers, okay? Lovely. Well done, guys. No. Sorry? Any concert tickets? Any concert tickets, no? Oh, you're a bit late. Unless we have any amalgamated stuff, do we? I tell you what, if we get any concert tickets, we'll give you a buzz, all right? Lovely job, Mick. Just hook me up with Tony there. Give me his number, give my number, and I'll start it over with him there for after work. Well done, lads. There's an old cork saying, you play ball with me and I'll scratch yours. Good luck. (laughs) The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. And of course, it is Free Food Friday with Roosters, Piri Piri and Douglas and Blackpool trying to get through more of the mentions. Our winners getting those uh, huge selection of wraps and chicken, uh, pita and chicken, beef burgers, meats based in their famous Piri Piri sauce medium, uh, salted fries, rice and waffle fries and desserts. Build your own cheesecake. Please can we have it for Fries Road, Post Office and Turner's Cross, uh, uh, Stanta in Blackpool. 
We're starving. Free Food Friday uh, for Irish Oxygen, Waterfall Road, Anya, Stacy, Olga and Melody in the office. Hiya from all the lads in All in One Interiors, Holly Hill. We'd love to win the Free Food Friday. Bridgewater Homes in Rathcormack. We'd love the Roosters. Oliver Hayes Gardening Services in Bandon. Blockwall Developments in Ballantlana would love to win. All at Bookstation in Douglas. And we've more mentions between now and our winner, of course, at the end of the programme. And line one, a man I haven't spoken to in many years, Ed Jordan, who ran the Profile Model Agency in Cork. Good morning to you, Ed. Good morning, Mike. Mick, how are things? Very good. It's been a bit of a long time since we used to go to uh, nightclubs and uh, bits and pieces together in the, in the old oh, gang. Yeah, yeah. Time, time moves on. Time Slowly moves on. Twenty years ago, anyway, you held the fashion show uh, in City Hall, uh, making yeah. uh, the public models for the night. Tell us all about it. Well, that was a long time ago. It was 20 years ago now. Um, I think we were kind of ahead of our time. It was a bit of a risk we were taking. Ray Lockheed and the gang at the Echo and myself, we got together with the profile agency saying, why not open up the prospect of people getting on the catwalk without this requirement that you have to be, you know, six foot two and a size zero, uh, at a Victoria Beckham type. And... Um, we had over, I can remember, we had, I remember being in the back garden of the house in Black Rock with over 5,000 application forms from the Evening Echo and trying to go through them and whittle it down to 1,000 and then go through that and whittle it down to 300 mm. to get people on the catwalk on the night. And we ended up having over 1,000 in the audience and 300 people on the catwalk. And last Sunday night, I was back in Dublin and I sat down for dinner with one of the girls 20 years ago, first time ever on the catwalk, was in the City Hall and we're still very good friends and she's just after coming back from living in Singapore and we're still working together. Wow. Uh, and what, yeah. how has life been for you? Did it, it, you took a kind of different direction oh. in your life then, did, oh, did you? Oh, good Lord, yes. Okay, I'll keep it short. I mean, it's, it's a CV that could, that could be a book, I suppose. Um, after the 1996 fashion show in the Point Up in Dublin, in which I was involved, um, some of the funds were going to uh, Belarus at that time, and I was asked by a particular charity would have been interested, having been a psychiatric nurse myself, in going over and seeing where the funds were being distributed and to do an assessment on the children's orphanage, which was called Nabinki, uh, north of Minsk City. And I went over on the 8th of July 1996, and I finished working there six years ago. I spent 19 years uh, working and living in Belarus, and for 10 of those years, I was the only Irish person registered to live in Belarus amongst 10 million people. So wow. it was a bit of a change. So Eastern Europe is my patch now. I'm calling you with needless to say, I'm talking to you from Warsaw. And uh, how the circle has, has turned, how it has become complete, because when I was in Belarus, of course, I had to learn Russian to communicate with everybody. And now I'm here in Warsaw, a city that's gone from 1.7 million people to 2.5 million people in 50 days. And every time I get on the tram, every time I get on the bus, um, I find myself being asked questions because I kind of don't look Polish. I still have that Balanhasic bogger head on me. <laughs> and uh, people coming up to me asking me questions, I must look Russian. But I'm speaking more Russian and Ukrainian now than I did in Belarus. So I'm here in a city, and, and the way things have changed is that when I did move back down from Belarus, while I was in Belarus very quickly, um, I set up art therapy centers in the five orphanages in which we worked. Because having, uh, having listened to you there this morning talking about the protests that's on in the Grand Parade and on Partick Street, I'm very aware of what the needs are for differently able children and for handicapped children, uh, in not only in Ireland, but especially in Eastern Europe. So we set up all kinds of therapies, bringing over over a thousand Irish volunteers, especially occupational therapists, to tell us and to show the Belarusians how to set up different therapies for differently able kids. 
and art therapy. One of, one of those, and during the short version, one of the long, of many, many long Russian winter nights, I found myself in the art therapy centres being taught how to paint. Wow. I moved back to, moved down to Warsaw and uh, was dabbling away in painting here to keep myself out of trouble. And a friend of mine who worked in a five-star hotel here called the Intercontinental uh, saw one of my paintings and asked would I'd be interested in putting it up in the hotel for a month. The month stretched to three years and ended up selling 120 paintings over three years to people from 19 countries. So that finished up a year ago and I have a basement full of paintings that I didn't sell. I'm sitting in my apartment looking out the window at these I I literally lost souls walking past my window carrying their lives in plastic bags, these refugees, wow. because I live very near, very near what's called Warsaw East Station, where all of the refugees coming from the Ukrainian border are disembarking the trains. And it's horrific. Poland has been people. amazing to, to the, uh, po- the free Ukrainians. And Polish people don't know what compassion fatigue is. They're fantastic. Wow. You know? they compassion have, fatigue. Yeah. I like that term. They don't know what it is. Well, compassion fatigue is a term that we always use when people are being asked, when too much is being asked of people, and that hasn't happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, the city is at capacity, though. I mean, the infrastructure in the city. For example, very quick example, outside this Warsaw East Station, I went to Dublin for the weekend, and when I came back, a city, a tented city of plastic had been built for 550 people. Um, over the weekend by the Norwegian Refugee Council. It includes a doctor's clinic, it includes a shop with clothes and everything. But yesterday was 22 degrees here, and you're looking at 500 people in that plastic tent living there for the summer because we're on what's called the third phase of refugees, which are the people who left Ukraine with nothing, plastic bags. They didn't have wheelie suitcases and they didn't have cars to get into the around. And it's really, it's pretty sad. Oh, so how, but, how can, how anyway. can people, people can help by buying your art, Ed? How, how can they view it? How can they pay for just it? A, just, yeah, good man. Well, there's there's one refugee centre here. I just want to present synopsis for people very quickly. I'm from near Bandon, from Ballonhasic. And there's one refugee centre called Patax Expo, and it has 82,000 refugees. Now, that's more than Bandon, more than Yol, and more than Formoy. So, if you imagine the full town of Formoy living in one warehouse. It's just incredible here. So what I did with a group of Irish refugees, our Irish expats here, one in particular, Michael Driscoll from Clonakilty, and his girlfriend, we got together and we talked to some of the refugee centres asking them what they needed. And one group in particular who worked down at the border said, there are mothers coming through the border, literally holding their hands or pushing wheelchairs with different vehicle kids who are so overstressed and so wrecked. Now, we know what it is to travel with children, but to travel with differently able children through another country, through a war zone, Getting on trains in a country where you don't speak the language is quite traumatic. So what I decided to do, rather than sitting in my apartment with a basement full of, of paintings, was to put these paintings out on the internet and say to anybody who will buy the paintings, we will give 100% of what we get for the painting to three hotels here in the city to provide emergency accommodation. So once we go to the rail station and meet up with these mothers who are coming in, we take them to this hotel for three nights where they have all their meals, their kids have a playroom, they can get some rest. And during that time, an interpreter goes over, sits down with them, and then takes them to the city authorities to register and to get the more permanent accommodation or send them on their way. And this is a very important point because every time I meet them, their lights, eyes light up saying, is there a chance you'll get us to Ireland? Ireland has become the number one place to go. 
Okay, but you, what you're essentially and simply because of the response, simply to just simply because of the response of Irish people to the Ukrainian refugees coming in. Yes, but what, what you're really what you're doing at, at is from, from the chaos of war when they arrive in Warsaw, you're giving them essentially a yes. soft soft landing. Absolutely, for three nights and all their meals, everything provided. We just literally sell the paintings, hand the money to the hotel, and then we meet people at and the gang at the uh, train station, get them to the hotel get them into proper beds, proper sleep, and they're not ending up in a refugee centre on a camp bed, under a tent, under plastic, with differently able children and extra stress. So for three nights, they get to just sleep, relax, eat. The kids are occupied with, with play therapy in the hotel, and they get a chance to go to the city authorities in their own time. Because if they wait at the rail station, it takes four to six hours to get registered, and they end up in one of these mega tents these mega pavilions, you know. And uh, on our, a personal I, note, Ed, Ed, with, you, with your yeah. experience in the area, how, how do you think this will play out for Vladimir Putin? Has he still got the unconditional support of his people? I know they're not getting uh, anything but propaganda as to what's going on, uh, but it, exactly if, it. when yes, will his position become untenable, do you think? I, I think that, that at the moment in, well, talk, speaking with my friends in Belarus in particular, my friends who are still in there, they're all being very, very tightly about what's happening because they know that what they're getting is pure propaganda. I mean, the 9th of May, Big Three celebrations are coming up very, very soon, and God knows what's going to be on the media in Russia and in the former Soviet states just promoting how great Russia is and how they're winning the war in the Ukraine. But it's the young people in, in the Soviet system, I still call it the Soviet system, it's the young people in Russia and Belarus and Ukraine who know the real story from the internet and they're getting access to what's in the West and until that's cut off, at least they know the truth of what's really, really happening. But the older generation and the, the, the pro-USSR people in Russia do believe that Putin is winning and do believe that the Ukraine is going to come back under the influence of the Soviet system. The problem for people here in Poland is that they're a little nervous, even though we do have NATO covering their backs, but they're looking at Moldova to see if Putin is going to make a move on that next. And after that, the next biggest Russian population outside of Russia is in Estonia. So they're a little bit nervous. And for most people, I wasn't great at geography at school, but when I moved here to Poland, I discovered there's a little piece of Russia in the north of Poland, uh, which was former Kaliningrad, is now Kaliningrad, or former uh, Konigsberg. So Russia is literally on our doorstep here, where we have Belarus in the east and we have Russia to the north. So oh, it's fascinating. He can do anything. The man literally is playing with a chess game of his own making. What he decides to do, I don't think anybody will have an influence on him. Incredible. But, to try, to try and counter some, some of the worst effects of what he is doing, uh, how can people well, find your paintings I've online, Ed? Exactly. Um, well, uh, well. how do I put this? I, 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 the group of us, the two or three of us that are together with our paintings is called the Hashtag Arts Collective. Um, we don't have a website because we only set this up recently just to cater for this appeal. Um, and I was hoping that you might be able to put a PDF or some link on your website for people to go to the Red FM website and to get the information there, which is probably easier. But other than that, you'll find it on Hashtag Arts Collective on Facebook. Hashtag Arts Collective or, on Facebook. We'll certainly publicize it for Jordan, you. A good man. Or Ed Jordan on Facebook. You'll find me. There's only one of me. And uh, all the paintings are on there. And a big shout out to Brenda in Dunmanway, who had three paintings arrived to her house yesterday. And uh, to Brona in Cork City, who had two paintings arrived to her. So 14 paintings have already left here and gone back to Cork.
So I'm really, really thankful to everybody, especially former volunteers of the Belarus North Country Project and the people of Cork and Waterford, Wexford and even Donegal who have bought paintings so far because we literally, every Bob we get, is going over to the hotel because there's an endless queue of people coming into the train. Well, there might be only one Ed Jordan, but I'm wondering, will Formula One's Eddie Jordan now be getting requests to sell paintings? Well, Mick Mulcahy, I was stopped once for speeding on the way from Shannon to Cork, and the guard turned to me and he said, if you think I'm going to court for catching Eddie Jordan for speeding, you can think again, and he let me off. He let me off. So Brilliant stuff. It's, it's handy. I just wish I did Eddie Jordan's money. Oh, yeah. Ed, 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 thanks but, a million, and for the big heart, and for everything you're doing to help those in need uh, with this uh, war toward conflict. Week. Thank you very Thank much. You. Cheers, thanks, bye-bye. Right, we'll take a break and get to our our competitions and uh, we have a Riverdance winner to come uh, and uh, we can tell you exactly in a few minutes' time who's going to win Rooster's Piri Piri as well in Douglas and in Blackpool. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. Just getting to the end uh, of the programme and our text. Make after you strong arm the bouncy castle man. He's come out not too bad, has he? He's got a few bob, a gallon a beer, a peri-peri takeaway and he was chancing his arm at going to Imelda May not a bad deal, uh, I love it well done to Councillor Paddy Deneen, we've read out his text but uh, he's supporting a meeting of the council and bus operators and local business owners on a topic I'm sure we will come back to next week we've had a huge uh, groundswell of support for the retention of those bus services in Patrick's Key or a proper explanation of, as to uh, how the alternative is better. Our Riverdance winner today for today is Susan O'Leary from Ballincollig and she correctly identified these two as being Lordy with Hard Rock Hallelujah and Dana, of course, with all kinds of everything, our first Eurovision winner. We've won the most of it, I think. We're not winning for many, many years now, but we've won more than uh, any other country. So uh, we have a pair of tickets to each of our uh, daily winners, uh, and that is... uh, that's written in stone, but now we're going to make the draw for the uh, enhancement of the prize, I suppose. And uh, that will be uh, the uh, pre-concert meal for two at Sober Lane, Cork's lively gastro pub in the heart of the city. Got to turn away here and shuffle the four bits of paper. And the winner is Anya Windpenny from Middleton. You're not only going to Riverdance, you are also going uh, to have a lovely uh, gastronomic delight of a meal, a pre-concert meal for two at Sober Lane, Cork's lively gastro pub in the heart of the city. Now then, we have our selection of starters, uh, chicken wings, chicken skewers, beef skewers, all forming part of our Free Food Friday with Rooster's Piri Piri in Douglas and Blackpool. Uh, we're also throwing in Piri salted fries, rice on the newest side, waffle fries and Piri mayo, garlic uh, Piri mayo and also your own choice of cheesecake. Build your own cheesecake uh, with uh, Kinder Bueno sauce, Kinder Pieces, Nutella, and lots more. And in line two, we have our winners, East Cork Oil. So, hi there. Hi! Well done, guys. Um, if I'm to talk about regular entrance to this competition, you are by far the most regular. Three different divisions of your company we're texting in today, for God's sake. Um, yeah, look, it, we have no lunches that last like four weeks because yeah, we're, we're so serving. Serving. We're serving. <laughs> Well done, guys. It's all on the way to you from Roosters, Piri Piri and Douglas and Blackpool. Thanks for constantly entering. Give us a break now for a few weeks, will you? Yeah, we will. Thank you. Enjoy it. All the best to you. Bye-bye. The Neil Prendival Show produced by Seamus Wheelahan, Kevin Galvin, by Claire O'Connor and Mark Willington. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.